Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. And usually, Zach is the one saying these intro words, but clearly, it's not him. It's Rob. Because we are doing another great episode where on this episode, we are talking about music. When Zach's away, Rob will play and discuss music. I am very happy to be joined by not only a guest feature on this episode, a guest host, I should say, but someone that makes music with me. His name is Matt. Matt, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Matt and I are well across the country. Uh, We're in two different time zones, as Zach and I usually are, and we are here today to self-indulge, which is one of my favorite things to do, because not only are we talking about music, but we're talking about our music. Fantastic. Before I jump in, or we, I should say, jump into the discussion of the music we are talking about today, I always have to give a quick shout-out as to why Zach is not here. Because you know, at any given point in time, Zach is willing to fight me about music. And he's not here today because he is working hardcore at our restaurant. And that's something I want to ask you, Matt. Did you know that Zach and I own and operate a restaurant? Uh, I, I guess before you answer, I want to put it in terms of something you're aware of. Zach and I own and operate a restaurant that exists underground in Times Square, New York. Even though the outside is finite, the inside is infinite, like the TARDIS. What the fuck? (laughs) No, I did not know about this. So, so Are you a time-traveling alien as well? We do not time-travel. We're not aliens. I can believe you're an alien. I don't know. (laughs) We we might be aliens. That's a good point. We might be aliens. Uh, But yes, that is the point of this podcast, Matt, is that whenever Zach and I talk, they're basically Cinemodities Restaurant board meetings, and we use the fun of discussing movies to benefit our restaurant, this infinite void in Times Square, New York. Which is totally real. Totally real. Don't don't question this. It's totally real. I swear. We're I believe on... you. I know you're from New York. I, <laughs> I, I, and I can't imagine what kind of crazy shit you, you're getting into up there. We are working on making it mobile still. Uh, that's kind of – that was the, the New Year's resolution of the restaurant. We wanted to make it mobile so it could eat other restaurants and gain their power. But – uh, that putting that aside, Zach is hard at work at the restaurant, not on this recording, because we've been experiencing some, experiencing some issues with something that came up a few months ago, the Do You Live Alone cake. And just to explain this to our audience and Matt, because you might not have listened to that episode on Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, um, the movie, not our episode. We didn't talk to her. Uh, we introduced into the restaurant a cake, a chocolate cake that a, a customer can order. And when they eat it, there is a 50-50 chance of after they ingest it, they either vomit or orgasm. That, that, that is a menu item on our restaurant, Matt. And we've been getting some complaints from our customers that... They're doing both. They're both vomiting and orgasming. And while it's a hallmark of the Cinemodities restaurant, we don't give a fuck what our customers think. 
We need to make sure that what we say and put on our menu does what it does. And there should be a 50% chance of vomiting. There should be a 50% chance of orgasm. They should never overlap. There's no, there's no intersection in this Venn diagram, you know? So that is what Zach is off working on with our R&D department today. And whenever Zach is not here, I get the great opportunity to invite people, such as Matt today, to talk about music. And going into this exact idea, I wanted to kick off, unless you have anything else to say about our restaurant or anything like that, let's talk about, well, who, who the hell is Matt? What, what is he doing on this podcast? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. I like that. Matt's like, what have I gotten myself into? So, Matt and I have known each other for a long, long time. I believe we met in uh, the the later end of the year 2010 when we shared a college class together at Robert Morris University where our teacher made note that both of us were wearing Dream Theater shirts. I actually remember what class this was now. I've been I've been trying to figure this Ooh, out for a while. Okay. It was, it was argument and research, which <sighs> was one of the four required communications mm. classes at Robert Morris. Yes. Argument yes. and research, which I will say was probably the best out of all four of them. That like as a- far as having learned things in the class, like the other classes I didn't learn anything in. The only other one that I thought was beneficial was public speaking, and that was just <laughs> so that, you, you know, I could try it. That was less well, about learning things and more about uh, exposure. You're, you're right. You're right. Uh, I agree with you that when Matt and I met in that class, um, our teacher, I believe, Mr. Colbert was his name? Colbertson? I think, yeah. Colbertson? Colbert or Colbertson? Maybe. Yeah, Graham Colbertson, Graham like Colbertson, that. that sounds right, at Robert Morris University. I remember it was something in like the first two weeks of that class. He kind of pointed out, he was like, you and you, you both have different Dream Theater shirts on. And we were like, well, well, this is a, a match made in heaven, of course. <laughs> we obviously must start a band together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it only it only took us, what, seven years to finally do so. Right. But, but we're jumping the gun. That's how Matt and I met. We shared this class together. Uh, our teacher pointed us out, uh, and and Matt and I just kind of became tangentially related. I don't think we ever worked on any projects in that class, but I think it came to the the end of freshman year when it was probably mid, you know, March to April 2011 when you know I got the reach out from Matt saying, "Hey, I got some friends, let's live together," and I I will never forget that the person that I was planning to live with for the literal remainder of my undergrad career decided to switch schools and move to Utah. And so I said, well, fuck, I can't live with him because I'm not moving to Utah. So I guess I'll take these dudes up on their offer. And I, I appreciate being the second option. It, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I was the best second option there was. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Because, you know, you introduced me to uh, Nick and Sean, the two other guys. We wanted to get an apartment. Uh, you were very happy that I had a lot of credits so we could get a high ranking on the room choice list. And lo and behold, at the middle, or maybe, you know what, September 2011, we had an on-campus apartment where we all lived together. And the rest, as they say, is history. Because there's a lot of history there, you know? It's only me and Matt yeah. talking. We could talk about, and- whoo, Salem 
and how we lived together in college for years. But uh, go this for apartment it. was shiny and new oh, before we were, when we moved in. When we, we were moved the in, <laughs> first people to live in that apartment. And I guess it should be said, just for completeness, uh, we couldn't get a four-person apartment. There were four of us. We had to get a five-person apartment, and we were paired with none other than the son of the president of the school. How the fuck that happened? No clue. <laughs> the the magic lottery system, I guess. I mean, yeah. like, if at any point you could hit the lottery, I guess we had done it at that time. Hell yeah. I'm never going to forget when, you know, before classes started, we were all hanging out and, and Vince was there. And I think he was getting ready to leave. And we were like, hey, real quick, are you the son of the president? And he goes, yeah, and leaves. And we're like, what? <laughs> Like, it blew our minds. Because, <laughs> well, you think about it, it's like the son of the president got four random roommates. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, how does that happen? Yeah. And, and us, of all people? <laughs> the diversity it is, it is, in the four of us between credits, GPAs, majors, it was so, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, and obviously, you know, he was one of the more, you know, the socialites of school, where yes. we were more, you know... Uh, apartment bound, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had our we had our tight knit group, and I think that's a great segue into getting at the points that I want to talk about. Matt and I continued to live together for two years at Robert Morris, uh, our undergrad, uh, before I graduated. We lived in two different apartments for two, you know, school years, but we did that. And this segues fantastically into before we were ever making music. Hell, before I ever wanted to create music, we formed a band. We never gave a name to that band, but the instruments we both played were plastic Guitar Hero controllers. <laughs> I think this is where we need to start because it's been established on this podcast, and Zach, of course, the, the usual co-host, is someone I played Guitar Hero with for years before I ever met Matt in high school. When I got to Robert Morris, I was a... A, a zealot for Guitar Hero. I was about to say a fan, but I was a zealot. And when I had my system and our controllers, I'm never going to forget, Matt was like, I need to get this. I need to understand Guitar Hero. And you were already playing guitar. I, You had guitars on campus. You had a keyboard. But for some reason, we would stay up hours every night playing guitar hero <laughs> i did not learn to appreciate that game until we lived together that 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 had changed i had played it before you know but i was always more you know when i was in high school i was with the mindset that i'm a guitarist like that means i can't play guitar hero you know because yeah. i'm spending my time playing guitar but by the time i was in college you know i had been playing guitar for a long time it's not like uh, I, I don't know, maybe I just wasn't practicing as much as I had been when I was in high school. But at the time, it was like, yeah, I'll try this fun game, I guess, and try and get better at it. And seeing you kick ass and actually play the songs so that you could hear them rather than just hearing, you know, all the... And you're like, this isn't every, Rush. Yeah, no. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. This does not sound like Spirit of the Radio to me. Yes. Like, what the hell? <laughs> but uh, I, I remember you and I would play that... Um, Oh, what was it? Uh, do uh, uh, do you know what song I'm talking about? It's uh, do, do as we do, or no, no, that's not the name. Oh, of it. do you feel like we do? By yes, Peter Frampton.
Yes, the Peter yes, Frampton song. Off of Guitar Hero 5. That's, that was that's like, a great song. That's like a, a musical journey whenever you play that on Guitar Hero, yes. you know? Bow, 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 bow. It, it, yeah, you're right. I think Matt is one of the first people, hell, in my whole life, one of the only people that felt the connection to Guitar Hero that I did. Because it's five buttons and a strum chord, but you you are in that moment, man. And like I said, we uh, got good at it. Well, I was good at it. I got better when I was helping Matt get better, and Matt got great. And we just – there was nights that we would just play, like, you know, hours and hours and hours of Guitar Hero, and people would come in, like, into the living room and leave the living room, like Nick or Sean or whoever, and they'd be like – What's this game? Oh, oh my, oh my God, you're actually really good at it. And we're like, shut up, we're focusing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We probably seemed like real big assholes at the time. Oh, yeah, that was, but... That was but, important shit. You didn't want to get fucked up in the middle of Guitar Hero. Yeah, exactly. Dude, I remember playing Guitar Hero 5 a lot with the Peter Frampton song, like you already mentioned. Um, I know one of our favorite things to play was um, off of Guitar Hero Metallica, All Nightmare Long. The the, oh, ma- yeah. the marathon of brutality that that song was. Yeah, we, yeah I we still got, have bruises. Yes. <laughs> Carpal Tunnel is – Guitar Hero is why our wrists are destroyed years later. <laughs> oh, yeah. That song and playing for hours and hours just to be able to beat enough of the game to be able to play Dream Theater, of Pull course. Pull me under. Absolutely. Dream Theater is one of Matt and I's favorite bands. Hell, we even started this conversation by saying the shirts we were wearing were Dream Theater shirts. But this is never a song we go to in any capacity for Dream Theater. Oh, that's at the very bottom of my Dream Theater playlist. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't even think it's on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so yes, that was our start. Matt and I got our start on plastic guitars. And after I moved away... Uh, I graduated Robert Morris. I moved to Ohio. Matt and I still hung out. We would take trips to Ohio, to Pennsylvania, uh, to to gather and not really play Guitar Hero, maybe once in a while, but just to hang out, have fun, watch movies, that type of stuff. And it took kind of for me to move away to Colorado when we finally got into two different time zones where I I think it just kind of came about where I think one day you sent something to me and you were like, hey, I wrote a song, you want to do something with it. And the do something, I think, to start to bring it more into the perspective of our band was, do you want to whistle on this song? Because that is something we haven't touched on, is that while Matt and I lived together, I either entranced people with my ability to whistle or drove them away infinitely because they can't stand whistling. And... Uh, I think it kind of, you know, there there might have also been, before I throw it to you, man, I think there might have also been some um, interest in you because Jeremy and I, for an inferiority complex, started to produce music. And I think that might have been one of the sparks, one of them, not the only, for you to say, well, fuck it. Why can't Rob and I do this either? So so do you remember? Because it was you, you. You were the instigator of this band. Do you remember what caused you to do this? Was it just, hey... I know a music person, let's do it. Or, or was it that, that kind of, well, Rob's doing it with this dude. I'll, let me see if he wants to contribute to me as well. There's definitely a little bit of this and that. I nice. think, I think both, uh, I would say that, uh, uh, seeing you and Jeremy releasing music and listening to what you were doing with that had helped to inspire me to, first of all, as, as you've always done inspire me to work harder at what it is that I'm doing. I'm like, <laughs> shit, I've been playing guitar since I was like, 
nine years old and Rob is releasing like really damn good music, you know, on Spotify. And it's like, I don't even remember except for maybe one or two occasions ever seeing you play a real guitar uh, up to that point, you know, yep. from the time that we lived together. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Now Rob's playing guitar. He's singing. He whistles. Uh, uh, you know all this uh, this stuff going on and you it's were like, like right. let me get in on that absolutely well in per- yeah in particular like the uh, i've been jamming with people since you know rob will remember we were in college uh oh. and having people over recording stuff you know just uh, little projects and uh, a lot of things that were never really released except for maybe on soundcloud but um there's all kinds of uh jamming that i've been doing in the past and then Eventually, it was like the one thing that I never had in any of my songs was any kind of lyrics or vocals or vocalizations or anything like that. So that was definitely something that I wanted and I wanted to expand on. Uh, And Rob started doing that kind of stuff with an inferiority complex. So I'm like, all right, I need to see if I can hijack some of his talent too towards some of these other projects because and he did on that note you're making me remember one of i i can't believe i didn't write this down in my notes in this recording but when we lived together i i have no recollection of what year it was what date it was hell anything like that i'm never gonna forget it might take a little prodding for me to remember it but when i do it sticks in my head grandly i was like laying in bed trying to go to sleep one night intoxicated of course and through our paper thin walls i'm pretty sure i hear you sean and ethan singing louie Lua, whoa got the feeling right yeah 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 and i'm just like and i'm not saying this because i hated I, I wasn't like oh my god i'm trying to go to bed why are my roommates being so loud i was just like wow this is awesome. <laughs> and, and you know, it kind of sucks. Well, not sucks, but it's almost uh, that some time was f- forgiven in the sense that I could have been in that room with you, helping you out. I would have totally loved to just sing the song that nobody knows the lyrics to, Louis Luai. And, and I didn't do that. And it took years later for us to finally do that. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. Yeah. I have very, very vague memories of that happening. I, like, I do remember being with, like, Ethan and singing, and, we, like, me and him and Sean were just sort of re- all brownout drunk, I'd say, just <laughs> singing at, at our heart's content and probably just repeating that same lyric over yes, and over and over yes. again. You know? and hey, <laughs> hey, from me in, like, two rooms or one room over in the same apartment, it sounded great. I had a good time listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> So finally, with with all this being said, this history, finally Matt and I decided to do it. And where I want to transition now is to the inception of not only us creating music, because I think that's the first thing we did was create music, but I want to start with talking about the arduous process that was choosing a name for our band. (laughs) Because we had a slew of songs before we ever had a name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Songs definitely came first. I, I think that just alcohol helped liberate our minds for us <laughs> to be able to choose a name. And, know, that was key. And, and, <laughs> and Matt, an important jam session. <laughs> oh, of course. And Matt and I, we had ideas. I don't think we need to go through some of the ideas, but we have a whole text file on Dropbox with some different names that eventually became songs, things like that. But... I I know it was Matt that one time we were just having a conversation 
And it was about movies, probably more about TV shows with good old Law and Order and Murder, She Wrote, two things Matt and I greatly enjoy, where I think you said to me basically, what's the deal with Angela Lansbury? Why is she immortal? And I was like, she is immortal. <laughs> and, and we kind of jumped on this as a joke almost. And it kind of brought us through iterations to finally choose, as Matt said during a jam session, let's call ourselves the Immortal Lansberries. <laughs> I will say, I feel like it was part joke and part almost homage, you know, yes. part like paying respect to, uh, to her because we love, we're fans of her work. You know, it's oh, like, yeah. Like, Murder, she wrote, I've seen every episode of, you know, which yep. is, it seems ridiculous, but it's yeah, like, I, I've seen so much of that. Safe, it's a great safe to con- say, this was something we both kind of grew up on, right? We were watching this when we were younger, you know? Yeah, and, and that was the weird thing. Like, we both had this uh, this experience with it, and then uh, somehow that this was something we could talk about in college or after college or, or around other people, and nobody knew what the hell we were talking yes, about. You know, yes. nobody, nobody else knew anything about Murder She Wrote or Jessica Fletcher, <laughs> or Angela Fletcher, Jerry Orbach, or anybody else that was involved in these <laughs> conversations. That's that is fantastic because that is, I think you said it best in that little last bit you said is that you know we we have called ourselves the Immortal Lansberries which our audience has known from the title of this episode already, because we respect and appreciate the actress that is Angela Lansbury. And even though we can talk about, you know, Murder, She Wrote, which she, I, I'm tempted to say, might be most famous for, she, she's literally been acting forever because she's immortal. But to put it in perspective, she was born in 1925, she is she is 94 years old currently. 93 or 94 from the math I did. That is a great age, but it's kind of irrelevant because she's never going to die because she's immortal. She has done so much in her career. Her first film was in 1944 at the age of 19 in Gaslight. And I think Matt and I have talked about this. Gaslight, I love the film. I don't know. Have you ever seen it, Matt? I can't say that I have. Uh, it's on my list. Yes, it, it's a great film. Uh, she plays the maid of a a couple where the plot of the movie is the husband trying to make his wife go crazy. Like it's a psychological thriller from 1944. You know, like, oh, I, I think it holds up to this day. And she's been working pretty much every year since then, if not once a year, multiple times a year. And she's famous for so many things between 44 and the next thing I'm going to mention, she's the voice of Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast. One of the most popular Disney films she sang in. Oh, oh, and then, you know, she goes on to even be in things up to this day. The last uh, movie role was a movie called Buttons, which I know nothing about, but she was in. She was even in Mary Poppins Returns in 2018 as a small cameo. And it's just insane that she's been working for so long of her life. Of course, I would be remiss if I did not talk about, well, we already did, Murder, She Wrote, Jessica Fletcher, and how many other things she's been in. Uh, I don't, I, I, I'm sure Matt has been aware of this at one point, but there's a crossover between Murder, She Wrote and Magnum P.I., where I, she plays I, Jessica Fletcher in Magnum P.I. That's insane to me, but I love it. And 
I need to mention that she has a great cameo in two episodes of Law & Order, one on Special Victims Unit, as we call it on this podcast, ZVU, and also Trial by Jury, where she plays Eleanor Duval, the rich matriarch of a family, and she's fantastic in it. She crushes that performance. And a quick plug, later this year, in 2020, you will hear Rob on a Law & Order podcast talking about Angela Lansbury in that episode of Law & Order. So tune in later. That's a, that's a bonus, bonus feature in the future for you guys. <laughs> I'm so glad that you brought that up because I'd completely forgotten about that. This is something that's been in the works for quite a while. Yes, I'm really looking yes. forward to this episode. And it will be happening. So I, I think we had to take that little detour because Angela Lansbury, Jessica Fletcher, is someone we appreciate fantastically. And hell, we could probably do a whole episode, whether it be me and Matt, me and Zach, just myself, on Angela Lansbury as an actress and the grand range that she has and everything along those lines. But of course, that's where our band name came from. We are now officially, Matt and I, you are talking to, well, you are hearing the immortal Lansberries. Because she's never gonna die. She's gonna she's gonna be alive long after this podcast is scrubbed from the face of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the next thing I wanted to get into is, of course, once we had the name, once we had the songs, we needed to make our first release. And our first release, I'm not even going to our album. I'm going to our Bandcamp. None other than Entropy and Equilibrium. This was our first bit of music that we released for free, and it's still available. If you go to Bandcamp, you type in The Immortal Lansberries. Hell, I guess now is a better time to say it than any. In the show notes of this episode, just scroll down, and you're going to see all these links to get our music. We started with a three-track EP where the first song is titled Angela Lansbury is Immortal. <laughs> We rearranged the name of our band. But I think more importantly, what I wanted to, I did want to spend some time with talking to you about, Matt, is that the other two tracks on this album are the titular ones, Entropy and Equilibrium. Not only are they great songs, I think, you know, uh, shorter songs than the seven-minute Angela Lansbury is Immortal, but they're also two songs that we have videos for. Before we jump into the videos, which, uh, you know... Another thing, check the show notes for the link to the Immortal Lansbury's YouTube channel where you can find both of these videos, one for Entropy, one for Equilibrium. We had a great idea. I remember talking to you on Skype and over the phone, and we were fleshing this whole release out, and we said, well, hell yeah. Rob made this great, like what I, I would say, you know, and of course, feel free to chime in and correct me if you think otherwise. Rob is great with the more melodic, pattern-based guitar parts, where Matt is just more of the free-flowing creationist on guitar. Rob needs to plan what he's going to play out for months before he can actually play it, where Matt can just sit down and play. That's the difference between us. And yeah, the way you just worded that initially was a very polite way of saying that it's more crazy nonsense that's coming from me. <laughs> a lot more thought-out, structured music coming from Rob. <laughs> but you get, you get some fun, crazy nonsense. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's exactly where we knew we needed to start, because Rob wrote this guitar part, that was calm, soft, beautiful, melodic, and we called that equilibrium, a calmness, a sense of equilibrium. To juxtapose that, Matt had, Matt has, I shouldn't say had, you have in Entropy a great 
gnarly composition of fantastic what a guitar can be and what sounds it can make. And we knew we had to pair those two together. And that's why that first release is called Entropy and Equilibrium, because it's the juxtaposition of, well, the first track being what we can do together, and the second track being our separate mindsets that will eventually come together on our first album release. But I I did want to say that we, as I mentioned, we have videos for both of these. Um, The video for Equilibrium is something Rob filmed when he was on the beaches of Maui, Hawaii, and it's just a sandbar falling apart with the waves, and I think it fits absolutely beautifully. The other video for Entropy, the, the craziness, the hardcore gnarliness of what music can be and what our music can be, I filmed that video as well, and I wanted to spend some time talking about this because this was something that I expressed to you, Matt, that I had an idea for, and I remember the first time explaining this to you where I'm like, okay, I'm going to light a fire, I'm going to boil water, and a thunderstorm's going to happen, and I'm just going to shake my camera while I'm videotaping all of them. And I, if I remember correctly, I explained this to you before anything was shot, and you were like, um... Okay, that that does sound entropic. That does sound crazy, but I don't know what you mean. <laughs> is that is that? Am it I sounds correct about in right. Say, okay, okay. It sounds about right. And when it finally came together, I think Matt. You know, once I actually had videos of water boiling, of a fire burning, of a thunderstorm, and I'm literally just shaking my hands with my camera, zooming in and out with the because I'm, I'm using like a a real camera, not a phone. I used like a little handheld camera and I'm shaking my hands, zooming in and out. And they all came together. Matt's like, Oh, you did exactly what you said you were going to (laughs) do. I think I realized though, that once I saw that it worked, you know, it, it, it was a great visual perspective of the, the music. I am so happy. And I think we both are with the way that that video came out for entropy because I, I spent so long, once I had all these videos, I spent so long just matching them up with the cuts in your music. Like when you would hit, you would do like, you'd have a riff going, and when you hit a new riff, I would switch from fire to water boiling, or from fire to water to, to thunder and things like that. And we are very happy with how that video came out because it, it is chaos. It is entropy for all intents and purposes. It is. With that being said about our first release, Matt, I would be remiss if I did not mention something about Angela Lansbury that I did not in our start of this conversation. I know I mentioned, leading into the future Law & Order episode that you guys will get to hear, Angela Lansbury, for her appearance on Law & Order Special Victims Unit, was actually nominated for an Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series at the 57th Primetime Emmy Awards. That's how good she is. She got nominated. And while, yes, of course, you know, I think Matt and I, and Zach as well, don't care about the award shows that much, she did get recognition back in 2005. (laughs) It's crazy to think about that, considering how long she's been in the business, you know. Like, think about how, uh, like, how far into her career she was at that point in time. And, I mean, this, uh, this, I'm sure this isn't, like, the only time she's been recognized for her work, obviously. Oh, of course. This is, like, b- very specific. 
it's it's really impressive. It, it's just another example of how Angela Lansbury truly is immortal. Yes. It always will be. <laughs> always will be. And I have to say, just because I know who I'm talking to, uh, of course, at that same Emmy Awards, the 57th Primetime Emmy Awards, um, while Angela Lansbury was, of course, in contention, did not win, um, uh, Amanda Plummer uh, won for her appearance on Special Victims Unit, but that's what we're not talking about today. We're talking about Angela Lansbury. I do have to take the aside and say to you, uh, Matt, the outstanding lead actor in a comedy series in that same awards show was won by none other than our man, Tony Shalhoub for Monk. Nice. Yeah, oh, I know. Matt, that Matt, makes sense. Matt and I now have watched Monk together before, and and we we know that that's another crime show that we love, and and Tony Shalhoub is fantastic in it. And yeah, he he won that in 2005. And if I remember correctly, he also won it the next year. He won it two consecutive years in a row because Monk was the man. <laughs> Monk was uh, that was one of the greatest shows ever made. Honestly, it is like it, it's in my definitely my top five favorite shows. And I mean, if you think about it, Monk was really telling us how to live in <laughs> times of crisis like we are in right Keep, now. <laughs> keeping it topical with the coronavirus, Mister Monk always wanted his wipes and his gloves. And hell, yes. what do we what do we want today? Our wipes and our gloves. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've thought back to episodes of Monk lately, just as things have been going on and being like, yeah, where's my Sharona? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I guess I guess the the tangent question, because, you know, like I said earlier, when Zach's away, we can do whatever the fuck we want. Uh, Are you a Sharona person or a Natalie person? Oh, oh, wow. It's a Um, tough it's a tough question for sure. Even even though I am putting you on the spot. Even if you had time to think about it. You're putting me on the spot if I'm thinking about it. If, if, uh, you know, I'm going to go with my gut here and I'm going to go with Sharona person. Mm. And that's mainly because I really appreciate a lot of the comedic value that her character gave at that time. I liked, I liked her lines. I liked the, uh, I liked the, the character, the dynamic of her character alongside Monk's was very different, I think, than what Natalie's was. And while yes. I also did really enjoy Natalie, uh, she wasn't my Sharona. So, you know. <laughs> my Sharona. No, I, I have to agree with you completely. Um, Sharona, I think, well, let me start it this way. Natalie was a supporter to Monk. Like, I think in the, in the later seasons of Monk, his, his OCD and his comedic value in the show was bolstered by Natalie, I think that Sharona was a foil to Monk, where she never wanted to put up with his shit, you know? And they they were two very different supporting characters to a main role, and Sharona was a foil where Natalie was a bolster, almost. And for that reason, I'm with you, Matt. I love them both. Um, Sharona was a foil making her a better character for us in that, what, the first two, three seasons with Sharona— where, you know, we have basically, you know, Monk wants a wipe, and we get those scenes where in, in the later seasons, Natalie's always like, here's your wipe, here you go. Like, I'm, I'm just getting you through this scene, where in the first few seasons, Sharona would be like, I don't got a wipe, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It was great. There was a there was a uh, opposing forces kind of yes. dilemma between the two of them. 
Like they all, both of them were sort of alpha dogs in their own right, yes. you know. Though, yeah, uh, sort of part of it is like Monk is obviously, you know, the respected uh, detective or whatever who is also Sharona's boss. Yeah. Yeah, but at he, the same he's, time, he's, he's the detective version of House. You know, he can solve any crime when he's given the right materials. Absolutely. But but at the same time, he's this like sort of introverted nerd type of person. But um, he. It, Sharona is very out, you know, outward, and she's very like. I don't want to say controlling, but she's definitely like uh, tries to be in charge in in certain aspects. Extroverted, hard headed, gung ho. Where Monk is more contained, unless you get him in his element. Yeah, like I said, it's a foil, and it's it's fantastic. And I think that's you. You kind of when we talk about Monk, you kind of have those two halves with Sharona versus Natalie because they're supporting the main character in different ways, for sure. Where where you know to juxtapose it to uh, a show like House, where House is always the same asshole. He just has different people helping him. You know, whether it be um, the the team for the first three years, and then Olivia Wilde comes on, and and that happens, and. And, you know, things like that. They're, they're similar characters, but the show handles them in different ways. And we appreciate that, for sure. Right, right. I totally do agree. Oh, all right. I, I was just going to say, we're, I'm sort of reminiscing on TV shows that we used to watch back yeah, in the day. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Uh, another one had come to mind that uh, I think it came out a little bit after, you know, this was a little bit later on than Monk, probably. But one that I remember watching a lot in college, and I think you watched some of it, too. Do you recall Fringe? I remember oh, you, you of know. Of course. Uh, I, 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 I feel like I remember some of your thoughts on the the lead actress in Fringe. But uh, I, I mean, keep thinking mean, back. You mean uh, Olivia the stuck-up bitch? <laughs> yes, yes. Literally, Olivia literally, took some turns in her character arc in that show. Yes, she but, did. And But the first two seasons of that show is Olivia is an employee of the FBI under the head of Lance Reddick, one of the greatest actors, I think, of our time. He was in the John Wick movies. He's the concierge in John Wick 2, right, you know? yeah. Lance Reddick is amazing, and he played... Uh, Colonel Philip Broyles in Fringe, who was the head of the Fringe division. And I remember saying this to you, Matt, and I say it to people this day. Literally, you can describe every episode of the first two seasons of Fringe as Olivia going, hey, can I do this? And he goes, no, you don't have authorization. And she goes, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. Ha ha! <laughs> It's the stupidest thing. It it makes for good TV, and the good TV is probably more of Joshua Jackson and his father Walter in that show, the mad scientist character. But Olivia Walter Bishop, my favorite. Walter Bishop, the, yes, he is one of my favorite characters of all television. Honestly, like oh, that is yeah. why I've watched that show because I've always aspired to be Walter Bishop myself. And of course, I love the. Uh, do you remember the actor's name? Like it's escaping me right now. So, um, you're, uh, so his son was played by uh, Joshua Jackson. Um, the, the actor that played his father... I know he was in Lord of the Rings. And yes, like, he, he was, was in Lord of the Rings, and uh, he is played by John Noble. 
John Noble. That's it. Yes. I don't know. Who, who I was, he was. The, uh, I I don't remember his character in Lord of the Rings because it's a it's a longstanding fact on this podcast that we despise Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, I'm um, sorry for bringing no, it up. No, that no, you can bring it up, but uh, we have to mention it that we hate these people. But John Noble, I, I believe, in the last of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he was the Mad King. I think that was his title. When he he was infected by Sauron and the orcs and stuff, he like was that. a major dick. He was oh, a major yeah. dick in in Lord of the Rings. Where like is let's in, face, which is yeah, in Fringe, he, he is a lovable maniac. He's the best you know? part of that show. I'm with you there. He is legitimately the best part of Fringe because every episode for most of the series is him going through like monk slash house status, figuring out the mystery. And and that I know that that is kind of what we're getting at this whole thesis this tangent that's what Matt and I love we want a mystery and a good character to solve it. He is uh, and this guy just blows my mind because if you watch him in these two different types of characters you will be like this is the greatest actor ever like you see him playing them and just living these characters. He's got it's that range. In- Yes, he has incredible range and he's just he, he can just latch onto a character at any time and he has great humor. Like, I mean, you don't get that much in the in the, you know, Lord of the Rings stuff, but you do get to see it. Uh, I, I think it was Legends of Tomorrow. He like made an appearance in and one of those Ooh. like superhero shows. And uh, he, he just had a very small part. He was like the voice of. Oh, yeah, it was like in the Constantine episodes. He had the voice of malloc or something oh, like okay, that some, okay some evil satanic guy but then also they like did it brought him in as a cameo as john noble you know like nice. and they would go and like ask him uh, something re- related to the plot but you get to see like some of the humor behind this actor and and how he is uh in sort of like a funny cameo kind of role yes and even though walter bishop in fringe is a main character when I think back on Fringe, and I know I've mentioned it on this podcast before, the last two seasons of Fringe are irreparably stupid because it turns out, like, the whole point is two characters falling in love with each other. The first three seasons are immaculate, and the best episodes of Fringe are the ones where we get flashbacks with John Noble and Leonard Nimoy, who played William Bell, his research partner. Yes. We we get maybe six minutes of screen time total in six seasons of Fringe, five seasons, with them interacting, and it's some of the best television in history. It is. It is. It truly is. And, like, it's surprising. The The role that Leonard Nimoy plays is very shocking, and I don't know yes. if it, I should give this a spoiler oh, away. Oh, we, we are a spoiler-full podcast. You can talk about whatever you want. If you're listening to this it, podcast and you are angry about spoilers, you can write us an email, and we'll delete it immediately. <laughs> well, if you, it, it, be warned in case you don't want to know this, but he plays a bad guy in this, in this show. And to see your trusted old Spock, you know, yes, go full-on yes. villain is a whole nother thing, you know, and done really well, you know, in another fantastic, you know, kind of sci-fi show that involves similar themes as the Star Trek. Yeah, Fringe, the first, the first, I would say the first three seasons of Fringe are fantastic. I'm never going to forget the, I believe the season finale is, of the first, the first season finale is when Olivia goes to the alternate dimension where William Bell is there and they meet in the Twin Towers. Like, the last shot of the first season 
is this main character meeting Leonard Nimoy, and it zooms out, revealing they're in the Twin Towers. That is fucking golden. That's what I want from television. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Walter Bishop, John Noble, he's a, he's a great actor. And uh, Fringe, as I know you brought it up to talk about TV on this tangent, it's a great show until it becomes about lovey-dovey nonsense, for sure. That's as as are most most great shows unfortunately yeah, there's only to, few that that uh, keep things really real you know there's very few artists out there like you know your david lynch you know some other ones that will keep things true oh you know? i get i guess this is a uh not a better transition than other you know in this discussion so far matt and i have not talked about even though we discuss our history with making music and dream theater i guess was the one that came up even more so than dream theater matt and i have you know 16 year long erections for david bowie maybe oh, even longer <laughs> yeah yeah i mean as long as i've been alive probably as we long as i've heard a david bowie song david bowie and and i know matt i i think we've had this discussion matt but i think it's uh, on record even on this podcast um david bowie's second album hunky dory is probably the greatest composition of music ever in oh, terms it's... of my opinion um, but yeah, we we love David Bowie, and there's a huge impact in our sound, my lyrics, in in the Immortal Lansberries from David Bowie because he is the greatest. I, I I'm never gonna forget Matt that you know Black Star came out. We were texting each other and we're like, yeah, David Bowie. And then almost, you know, what was it, two days later, we were texting, oh, no, he died. No. And and, and Matt was like, I'm playing Black Star on repeat. And I'm like, I'm also playing it on repeat. <laughs> it was crushing. That album was amazing. It is amazing. Oh, it, I, it, oh. It's legendary. It will be on, like, my yearly playlist, you know, when Spotify gives you, oh, your top songs every year. It's like there's going to be something from that album on that playlist forever. Yes. Yeah, that that's I think we could do a whole nother episode just discussing Black Star because not only is it a great David I, Bowie album, but it's it's the it's the we, like we've talked about off mic. It's the culmination of his career. He is singing about the culmination of his career and how he knows the loss of his life and career is imminent. And I'm oh, yeah. so glad that this didn't have to be a posthumous release. He did it. He finished it. And, and he got to he see died. it skyrocket, too, like yes. in success. It's like, he's like, I still got it, you know. I can die <laughs> in peace. You oh. know, because he did. He's still king, even at that time. La Lazarus yeah. is one of my favorite songs off that album. But not to say that it's all not great, but... Oh, that that album, as short as it is, it, it doesn't matter how short or long it is. It's the perfect encapsulation to the 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 years that we got of David Bowie. Right. I mean, well, you think of David Bowie and for his entire career, you would categorize him. I mean, under a bajillion genres, but primarily as a pop artist. Sure. And he finished his career with a jazz album. Yeah. And it's like. You are the greatest human being. Like, everybody knew he had that in him from all those decades, you know, because he was mm -hmm. always just, he's like, yeah, I'm going to take pop, but I'm going to always push the boundaries and try and recreate something. And, and 
not repeat myself you know that was constantly changing is what he was always doing and so he would push the boundaries of pop and propel it forward as a genre and then to cap off his career with just like a straight up jazz album with him doing like really sort of uh uh introspective kind of lyrics you know over top of it and giving these like really soulful performances was incredible amazing yeah that that is an amazing album i i i can't cap off a career and a life better than that you know way to go out in style man was a genius oh absolutely yeah it's it's you know you can't if anybody who appreciates music, which I, I think we've established, Matt and I do, uh, you, you can't listen to songs and just be against them because of the superficial level. Like, David Bowie put an entire career. And I'm thinking of, you know, when I shared this album with people, I would be like, wow, you got to listen to Black Star. Like, it's David Bowie's last album. He died two or three days after it came out. And they're like, uh, I don't get it. You know, it's, there's a song, Tis a Pity, She's a Whore. And it's like, it's not about a whore. It's not about a specific whore. It's about musicians being whores or artists being whores with their creative product. And and even what you said, you know, going back to Hunky Dory, my favorite David Bowie album, as hard as that is to say, pick a favorite. That's my favorite. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Like, oh, he, I love that song. He, he was literally telegraphing his career back in the 60s. It, it's you, you... It's insane. Well, I mean, what about this? Uh, one of my favorite Bowie songs is The Man Who Sold the World. And you know what really got me into that song where, I mean, I had heard it before this, but I didn't really know what it was, was whenever, at least the David Bowie version, I had known the Nirvana version more uh, was more oh, familiar at this okay, point. Okay. But I watched Fringe, and Walter's favorite album was that, bowie album and he had that in an episode fringe and he was playing the vinyl of this song and it played the man who sold the world and i was like this is like the greatest song ever (laughs) you know i listened up like this is amazing i need this song (laughs) so i uh, i listened to a a lot of that album after that (laughs) that's great yeah that's a great album and i i guess while we're on this topic i know matt knows that one of my favorite bowie albums and also one of my biggest regrets is that we were alive matt and i were living we were not we were not old. I think we might have been 11 to 12 years old, but David Bowie was touring and releasing Reality. And right. I I early love, 2000s. Yeah, 2003 was then that came out. I love that album. And it's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't really get into Bowie until, you know, 2007, 2008 or anything like that. But I listen okay. to Reality and I'm just like, wow. Like he he hit the nail on the head and i i do have to say that one of my favorite songs off that album is try some buy some which is of course david bowie putting a great twist on a song that george harrison wrote my favorite beetle and that's why i'm kind of biased because george harrison is in all for for a hundred percent of the time my favorite beetle and david bowie was like man we lost him let me cover one of his songs that he never performed but wrote. And I'm just like, it's incredible. I cannot contain my erection when I listen to that album. <laughs> so. 
Is George Harrison your favorite Beatle because of a particular song, or is it because he he funded uh, Life of Brian? Uh, so I, I do love him for that. Uh, George Harrison became my famous Beatle the first time I heard While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which uh, is that... one of my favorite Beatles songs. It's probably my second or third favorite Beatles song ever. Number one, which I said on this podcast before, is Eleanor Rigby. That's the most one of the most amazing songs in human history. But D- uh, George Harrison, I love the fact that he had more to do other than the Beatles and not being a political narcissist, as I would describe John Lennon as. Uh, George Harrison was a creative force, just as I would describe David Lynch. And while my guitar gently weeps, the first time I heard it, I, I think I was very young. I think I might have been like seven or eight years old, and I fell in love with that song. And when I got older and researched it, I will always love the story that the reason George Harrison wrote that guitar part was because he was trying to impress Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and I will, I, I, that's one of my favorite stories in music history where, you know, basically Jimmy Page was visiting the studio for the Beatles and George Harrison was like, oh, 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 fuck, it's Jimmy Page. Like, oh, my God. He, like, he's an idol. got to raise like, he, the bar. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, what do I do? What do I do? Okay, I got to pick one of my songs. And it's this. And that's where the recording, one of the first demos of While My Guitar Gently Weeps came from. And it's just like, oh, my God, that is immaculate intense inspiriority of music where one artist can pump themselves or drive themselves to live up to a hero and then in the long run make one of the greatest things that's ever existed to somebody like me it's it's immaculate and you know it, he's somebody that people often don't point to whenever they're looking for their favorite beetle you know but it's oh, sure. he doesn't get the credit that's due to him i think i agree talking. i agree completely and that's not to say i don't dislike any of the beetles but george harrison is my favorite beetle because he is a he's he's a fantastic musician and not to say none of them aren't, he, he was the one that kind of reached out to me at a young age where it's like, wow, I love these Beatles songs. Who, who, who wrote them? Who wrote those parts? Oh, George Harrison. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> I love them. Yeah. The Beatles are, are so amazing. And, you know, I feel like we're sort of running through a lot of our influences at this exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's why I think this Beatles is all worthwhile. And uh, I, I want to sort of talk about some other ones that are absolutely huge influences on our music i'm Go not sure it. if i can correlate them to the uh, quite the grand scale that we have We've, we did a, a rather well job uh correlating with film through film you know to sort of associate film and welcome and to cinemodities matt we can gunshot this shit now we got a topic we can we can go all over so what what do you got throw it at me i mean like my biggest uh, uh perhaps one of my biggest influences is robert fripp Oh, and just King Crimson in general, too, because it's not just Robert Fripp. Like, I love his style of guitar. It's some of the best uh, style of guitar that that I've ever heard. You know, like he does things with the guitar that you wouldn't think possible. Yes. uh, Physically, a a, a musical creativity that opens your worldview. Absolutely. And I and I think with, with you bringing up King Crimson, I have to tell the story where I knew about King Crimson for a while, but only a handful of their albums. One of the first, it had to be the first months that we were living together, Matt, you were playing music 
out in the common area. Like, we were just, like, sitting, shooting the shit, whatever. You were playing music, and you put on a song, and I was just blown away. I was like, oh, my God, I love this. Who is this? And you said to me, it's King Crimson. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know King Crimson, but I never heard this song. And I'm like, what song is it? I need, I need to download it. I need to get it from you. I need to listen to it. And it was Walking on Air off of Thrack. Walking on air And the worries of the day down Undercover on the fading clouds The secrets of the night come alive In your eyes oh. That changed my life, our lives, probably, when you knew it, I didn't, and when I was like, listen, I'm, I'm literally gushing over the beauty of this song, and you told me it was walking on air, I'm like, that is still, to this day, one of my favorite King Crimson songs. Mine too, and I, I love that song so much, and that album, I think, is my favorite King Crimson album, mm. as far as something. So this album is really weird. It, uh, it has a unique lineup on the album it has uh, the way they they did it it had so there's like the double trio yes i'm pretty sure is what they used with this album which had two drummers two basses two guitarists you mm -hmm. know bill bruford and pat mastoletto mastolato yes those are the drummers on threat oh my we god we saw pat we, we saw pat yes. in denver yes uh, we did when matt we saw king crimson saw king crimson together live and and Pat Mastoletto was there, and I remember, I think I leaned over to you at one point, and I was like, dude, this, this guy is so great to watch. <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal. And him going between uh, him and Bill Bruford and Thrack is an amazing, yeah, that's, experience. That especially. makes sense why I love Thrack so much, because Bill Bruford's on there. Because, you know, even, I, I know it's a hot take, but just like Hunky Dory, my favorite King Crimson album is three of a perfect pair with bill bruford where he he did a lot of that songwriting even not just the percussion and that's beautiful to me three of a perfect pair that was uh the same i think that three of a perfect pair and beat had the same lineup if i'm not yes sure. yes definitely uh, i yeah. think i'm correct on that which was uh that that also featured adrian Ballou yeah. on guitar and a singer frontman. Oh. another and i another don't musician i know Rob matt and i gush over adrian yes <laughs> i am a huge Adrian Ballou fan. I've seen him live doing his solo work and it's incredible. This yes. guy is an amazing guitarist. He is what, what really got him going with King Crimson was he's capable of doing sound effects with his guitar in oh, particular yeah. animal noises. And so you would get the song like animal or elephant talk. Uh, mm -hmm. one of the earlier Ballou tracks with King Crimson. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, you, and you know who that is, right? Uh, Tony Levin yeah. does oh, that oh particular part on the Chapman stick, and it's unbelievable. The chat, uh, yeah, I, the use of of the Chapman stick in that song is just like unparalleled. Like it's almost one of those things I hear, and I'm like, you you can't do it better than this. You know, you you would literally have to break the universe to do it better than this. That that's the wonderful thing about King Crimson is they are such a. Uh, they're all virtuosos of their instruments, so mm -hmm. they all sound incredible and play everything with, like, 
perfectly, though they won't agree to that. Like they would not say that in an interview. I know yeah. because I've listened to a lot of their interviews. And they're <laughs> yeah. Like they'll talk about their mistakes and things. But whenever you're listening to it in the crowd, you don't notice the mistakes because they're just perfectionists. Exactly. You know? But oh, dude, the that interesting was one of the thing best concerts like, I've ever been to when we saw them the, live. The thing that's cool is they are also a band that you get improvisation with. So it's not like the, what you would think of as a normal virtuoso type of group, uh, progressive rock group, that they are playing very tightly scripted, almost like classical pieces yep. uh, or orchestral pieces. Instead, like, you know, there are certain parts that, you know, this is the hook of the song. They're going to keep that the same. But then there's these sections that are just improvisation. And King Crimson had what, like a seven, eight person lineup, I think, when we saw them. What was it? Uh, I think seven, right? I think it was three, seven. Uh, yeah. It was six or seven. Yeah, I know there are three drummers for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. One yeah. of my favorite things, you know. Oh yeah. I, I know. I told Matt years ago when I I saw Modest Mouse back in like what 2015, 2016, and they had two drummers. I was like, oh, I love it. And then we see King Crimson, and they have three drummers trading off like the fucking masters they are, and it just blew my mind. It, it's incredible that stereo feel too whenever you're seeing it live though uh while we're talking about king crimson i just want to mention uh i want to put a shout out there for uh, bill rifflin sure. uh so rest in peace since he did pass recently of yes. cancer yeah and he was uh, a percussionist and keyboardist for king crimson uh i've seen king crimson live twice now and i was unfortunate enough that he wasn't able to perform at either of those concerts that, whenever i've seen yeah i know i know we is, talked we talked about that maybe a little bit uh just between you and us but i i know that that's always a bummer for sure um with if if there's nothing you have to say more about king crimson you know we could we could talk for hours we could do a whole nother no, bonus we should episode. probably move on to some of our music Bef- i suppose before we do that there's one other influence i wanted to mention and like i said we could talk for hours because you know we've touched on dream theater we we could even touch on Tool, the last concert Matt and I saw together. But I think that there's one I want to mention before we go on to our album and discussing the, the meat behind that is something that has influenced both Matt and I, but more uh, different from the bands we've already mentioned is more of an influence to the lyrics that appear in our album. And you could say it's a band. You could say it's an artist. I think I'm going to go with the artist's name, Serge Tankian, in System of a Down. I I have said to Matt many times before we made music and while we're making music, there are very few people in this world that understand that their voice is an instrument. And Serge might be the best example of that. Because you can listen to probably four different System of a Down songs and not think it's the same person because he is so diverse with the mel- melodicity, the beautiality of his voice versus the cacophony. And I'm thinking of, well, the first example that comes to mind is, um, wake up, wake up, grab us and put a little makeup. And he's doing all that stuff, which cuts into why do angels deserve to die? But then you get something like, I don't know, question, where he is literally just singing operatically. Mary is ready for two ghosts who know different than you. Ghosts are now waiting for you, are you? Sweet Mary is ready for two ghosts who know different than you. Ghosts are now waiting for you, are you? Dreaming, dreaming, the 
And I know Matt and I have listened to a lot of System of a Down. We've listened to a lot of Serge. Hell, even a few weeks ago, we texted about Serge. Uh, Rob said Serge covering David Bowie and David Byrne is an atrocity because he has his own voice. He doesn't need to cover anybody. Yeah. And and he is, a, he is a musician that I've always looked up to in terms of inspiration for my vocals specifically. <laughs> I actually remember uh, probably one of the only times I can recall you ever playing guitar whenever we were in college. Like, I think you played on my guitar. I'm pretty sure you played a System of a Down song. Yes. On my electric guitar out of nowhere. I think it was maybe Ariel's or Spiders or one of those. It was, it was Prison Song. Prison song? Okay. Yeah. Trying to build a prison. <laughs> that was the only song I knew how to play when we knew each other. <laughs> but, dude, I, I listen to Serge. I still listen to System of, System of Down regularly because I'm, I'm kind of blown away. Now that I've established a musical creative foothold with you and with Jeremy, when I listen to this stuff, I'm like, wow, they they – they knew the range they could handle, and they went for it, you know? Like, every album is not, not a different genre, but a different range, you know? You have, you have the gloriosity of their first album with, you know, Spiders, with Sweet Pea. And Sweet Pea is a great example. Yeah! Yeah, 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 yeah! I wanna fuck my way to the garden! Because everybody needs a mother And he's just like, oh my god, like, this person is schizophrenic. And then you get, you get the fucking radio hit that was hypnotized years later. Oh. The same person. <laughs> and who's going, you know, uh, oh my god. Like, I, I can't, it, it, it's baffling to me that one person could be that diverse. And I think this goes back to what we said about David Bowie. David Bowie called his shot early on and always changed his shape and form up. But Serge is kind of doing the same thing, you know? I'm not saying Serge yeah, is the cool. modern Bowie, but Serge is, like I said, someone who knows his voice, knows what he can do with it, and wants to expand on what he can do with it. He did Enter the Chicken with Buckethead. He sang for Buckethead for a little bit. And I'm like, fuck yeah! Like, that, that, that's literally what I need in life, is my favorite singer and vocalist pairing up with the Hard take right here. The greatest guitarist to ever live and that will ever live. <laughs> I was going to say, with your favorite guitarist, I'm well aware of your, your respect for Buckethead. And yes. Buckethead is amazing. It is a mutual respect. And, and I, mean, I, I mean, for me, I love him as well. That, that got me so hardcore. Yeah, I, I know I said on this podcast before, I have seen Buckethead 11 times live. <laughs> and, and one of those times... Somebody fought me. Like, I got <laughs> bruised at one of Buckethead's concerts. So did Damn. Justin. So did Justin. <laughs> okay. With all that being said, our influences finally talked about. We are here to get into now the primary reason of this episode, the self-indulgence. Even though Matt and I, the immortal Lansberries, have talked about where our band name came from, our first release on Bandcamp, there is an album that exists on Bandcamp, and on Spotify, and also on where any major music is sold. But we are here today to describe exactly what went into the release and the idea of Today I Learned. And when it came out on September 6th, 2019, 
we knew we were going to change the world. (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado, uh, we're going to do this track by track because I think that there are some great tracks that deserve attention, but I don't want to let any fall to the wayside. And we have to start with the order that we have on the album distinct ways oh oh, shit no i'm even oh god oh my oh jesus christ i'm breaking my own there's something we need to mention before we start to talk about the tracks man is that we have we have two different versions of this album oh we do if if you listen to this on spotify you're gonna get the version that is the immortal lansberries if you go to our Bandcamp, if you go to bandcamp.com and you search the Immortal Lansberries, and you click on Today I Learned, you're going to have the opportunity to download this entire album for free. And the only reason that we suggest you do this is because when you download this album from Bandcamp, or listen to it on Bandcamp, you're going to get a different version from what exists on Spotify. Because of copyright laws, Matt and I could not release our first version of the album on Spotify. Because we use clips that we do not own, such as Steve Harvey talking about a safari. They got some noises in Africa. Your ass ain't familiar with. You know, I'm from the ghetto. You know, roo, 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 that's a dog. That's a cat. That's a cat and a dog having a fight. Cow, 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 cow. That's gunfire. They got some noises in the jungle. You, you. You be just walking along outside. I'm going to play it right here. <laughs> but I wanted to make everybody aware of this is that, you know, yes, you can go and listen to us on Spotify, but Bandcamp might be the more beneficial version, or not, not beneficial, the more complete version of the album. What did, what did you think? What do you think about that, Matt? Do you think that Spotify is limited or complete? Do you think Bandcamp is complete or limited? What are your thoughts on the fact that we had to reduce some of our clips on Spotify? I feel like Spotify could have given us an option to like uh, reduce revenue or something or revenue share with other you know organizations that own those you, clips. You mean, you mean allow we, could, us to we could have made 70 it? cents instead of 90 cents? <laughs> I mean, I would have been fine with zero cents, which is what we did with Bandcamp. But the difference yes. is the outreach Spotify gives us is is what we're going for. You know, Ooh, we just want people yeah. to listen to this music. We don't care about the seventy cents that we might make. Everybody, email actually listening to it. Anybody who's listening to this, email Pod, email Podbean, email Spotify. Podbean is who hosts this podcast. Spotify uh, and Lander are who host this music. Uh, email them about the concept of fair use because they clearly don't understand it. <laughs> they don't understand that. They also don't understand that we're not competing with their product. You know, if anything, we would be advertising them. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I think that's a really great way to put it because in our song, So Far We, we use a clip of Steve Harvey stand up special from the 90s. Who's, so, who's, so heavily me, protected, everything yeah, there is yeah, locked let me, down. Yeah, let me ask oh. you that, Matt. Who's who's paying for a Steve Harvey stand-up special from the 90s? <laughs> no, no, we, 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 are, we are totally fans, are, are believers in intellectual property. We wouldn't want art music to be used in a, in a, 
in a negative way unless it was through fair use, which we believe we're doing. But this is where we had to start, is that when you listen to us on Spotify, you are getting a version of the album that is different, inherently different from what we decided our first album to be. And I wanted to make that point clear, and I, I want all of our audience, if you like what you've heard from me and Matt, and you like what we're going to discuss about the Immortal Lansberries, that you all go to our Bandcamp page and you download the real album for free. We would love that. Because I think this is another great way to kick this off, Matt, is that, you know, when, when you and I made this, when you and I do our music, we, we don't want monetary success we want people to hear what we've created right absolutely that's the entire point is just to be able to show people our creation and our art yes and and i think this goes now just to keep it topical more than ever when everybody's stuck in their homes we want you to listen to music that you haven't heard before but you will love and we think you'll love this music and without further ado I think we should get into our first album, Today I Learned. I do want to focus on the Bandcamp release, even though, of course, they're very similar. Uh, I, I want to focus on Bandcamp. And I think it's kind of, you know, in, in September of 2019 and leading up to that to create this album, we were incredibly prescient because the first track is Distinct Ways. And if Matt remembers, when Rob wrote Distinct Ways before Matt put his music to it, I was like, this is about doctors. This is literally about the medical professional career. <laughs> how how it perfect is, yes. how perfect did this shit line up, Matt, that we we are now relying on medical professionals more than ever, and I am shit talking them in this song. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say I think my, my memory if it's correct is that you were rather distasteful towards the profession. But yes. uh, not, not, I don't know if it's towards the profession, but towards, towards certain aspects of it's, having to deal with going to the doctors. You it's know, more the, towards the, the system. Yeah, you think about it now, and like with everything that's going on, I don't think that it's it seems like any kind of major complaints. But at like at the time, it was you know, re, it, it's like uh, just sort of the things that you know you have to deal with the waiting room, you have to deal with yes. other people. This. Uh, the sterilization of it all it's there there's something sort of unseemly about having to go to the doctor exactly. you know nobody wants to do it nobody wants to do it but they know they have to in the society that we've created and and i think that that is a great segue into what i was going for when i wrote the lyrics for this song as short as the lyrics are i think it's you know one two three four five six seven eight twelve ten ten lines um i, I am i wrote this song about the waiting room from the perspective of the doctor. And I think that the best way to put it is that, you know, there's two, there's two lines I really, really love in this whole uh, aspect, this, this artistic creation. And it is that, you know, the first one is here, insert rhyming phrase, and then also out of two, I'm second best. Got dressed for this mess Fell asleep in the same place Gotten used to all the stress Here insert rhyming phrase God bless my wickedness And all of my dispraise My brain is damned near Algahest So I'm stuck in the oral phase 
Out of two, I'm second best. All of that can I rephrase? Because I want to start with the first one. Uh, if you listen to this song, and I'm sure we're going to have the clip in here so our audience can hear it before we talk about it. Um, I, I am discussing doctors who are waiting for patients from this waiting room. And if you actually listen to the song, that, that's what the noises are. They are waiting room noises, you know? And I, I, lo- I have always loved the fact that you have doctors talking about, you know, here's why I took so long. Here's what I'm here f- to do for you, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, it's all kind of meaningless and vacuous. So it made sense for me to say, here, insert rhyming phrase. The, the line in this song saying, hey, here, here, here's another rhyme. That's just doctors saying, here's why I waited for you or you waited for me. I, I, I love that. Absolutely. I, and just another reason. Exactly. It's another reason. And I felt that it's so meta. And I, I am. I'm trying to get in the doctor's shoes because I know doctors work long hours. They have respite rooms where they sleep and they're on call. But I, I can't imagine. Let's say that you go to the hospital, Matt, and you have, a, you, have a, you have a problem. And you're faced with a doctor that just woke up from sleeping. You know, like like this this doctor literally was on call and said, Dr. So-and-so to room H64B. That doctor just woke up. He's gotten used to all that stress. And the first thing he's going to say to you is cookie cutter. And that's why it makes sense to include the lyric here. Insert rhyming phrase, because not only will the doctor say something to you that is complete cookie cutter nonsense to make you feel better as a patient, but in the terms and the. In the mindset of the doctor, they just woke up. They don't know what's going on. They're still groggy. They're going to say, well, I, I need to repeat the phrase that I always have. And that's where this beauty that I hope I'm explaining to our audience, when in this song I say, here, insert rhyming phrase, I'm not taking cop out on my end. You better fucking believe I could have thought of a rhyme. Literally me doing a meta line of a rhyme, talking about a rhyme, that is beyond the scope of this song. That's be, that is becoming the metaphysical aspect of doctors dealing with patients, for sure. Makes a lot of sense, totally. The other line I wanted to mention is, out of two, I'm second best. This comes from more of my experience. Uh, Rob has some experience with medical field friends. Um, I haven't talked to them in this day and age with Corona, of course, but um, when, when I talk to my friends who are studying to become doctors or are doctors, they, they have always said to me something along the lines of, well, you know, you have the best doctor in medical school, but they, be, they get their license just as the next 16,000 people do. And that has always been in the back of my head very intriguing. Because Matt and I know, we went to college together, you have a valedictorian, number one in GPA, you have a salutatorian, number two in GPA. The same thing happens for medical school. But, but should it? Why is there a best doctor? There should be doctor or no doctor. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want the doctor 
that was last in his class and still got his license, right? Like, and so that's why this, the point of the song, Distinct Ways, is, you know, that last line, out of two, I'm second best. That you are now dealing with a doctor that has failed in comparison to a medical professional you could have had. That's scary. That's the point of this song. Distinct ways. You are moving. When you make the choice to go to the ER, to go to a doctor, you are choosing a distinct passage, a distinct way, the name of this song. And it might not be the best one, and that's scary. And I think this is the weirdest thing to hear for our audience, if anybody's listening to this that loves the Immortal Lansberries, that this song is a horror, almost. <laughs> it's a great album opener. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As, uh, you know, the, my bit, main memory of this song is that it's... Uh, I, I think this is one of the very earliest tracks we ever worked on together. Oh, yeah. One of the first. And, maybe the first, yeah. And, and before we ever really had the whole idea, one of the first lines I had was, God bless my wickedness. Like, I was so oh, yeah. into the fact that, you know, doctors say do no harm. But if, if even with colonoscopies, which this song is not about, they're, they're anesthetizing you and sticking a tube up your fucking asshole. And they say, I do no harm. You know, it's all for the greater good. And so I just felt like, yes, I understand that. I'm not saying doctors or the med- medical profession is bad. I don't think Matt and I are saying that. We're saying that... People need to realize that you have to hurt to help. And that's why we say, God bless my wickedness, because we are helping at the same time as we are performing. Doctors are performing lumbar punctures, which are some of the most painful procedures in the world. Absolutely. So so did you have anything left to say about distinct ways or are you ready to move on to the second track on the album? No, I think I'm ready to move on. Right on. And the second track, of course, is Three Times, in parentheses, Bia. This, this track is, had a long history. This, oh, this this has a really long history. I'm looking at my notes right now, and I don't have the lyrics written down, or at least in what I pulled up, but I think I can talk about it regardless, is that, you know, th- this was this was one of the first songs I think that Matt and I really came together about where we understood that this was correct once again jump in and correct me if i'm wrong but this was one of the first songs we had where we were like wow we have something that is worthy of release right right yes that, i would definitely agree with that it, uh, this is among the earliest of the few like tracks that we had started working on the first like three or four in that batch and this one we ended up putting a lot of time into and a lot of yeah. instrumentation and experimentation with it. And this is a particular track that for me, having played the guitar part, I know I played this guitar part so many times over and over again, practicing it. <laughs> it's like one of the few parts that I've played that I just know I can play at any point in time, even if I haven't been practicing for a long time, you know, Fucking it's like, nice. I know this song so well. Um, and I think this is the first song we had that, in, that introduced the melodica. Um, yeah, I don't think that we really used that too much prior to this track. And this uh, was this was another track where I I think I'm so glad you said it that way because while you were playing the guitar part, this is one of those songs I would never need help remembering the lyrics for, because th- this is not only a lyrical song that I had to write, but 
it gets at a momentous idea of what I feel about lyrics because, you know, like it says, be a, an inspiration to those that came before and that came beyond. And th- this is what I want from our music is that, you know, we're, we're not just looking for people to listen and enjoy. We want that. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, this track gets at the idea of, you know, we could do it. You can too type of thing. Be an inspiration to the people that don't think they can do this stuff. Exactly. And that's the uh, uh, sort of what uh, we were trying to put forward with our first album as far as like, we can do this too, you know? The, I mean, today I learned yeah. this is like, this was the learning experience. We uh, we went through a long period of time to create this album. This took like the entirety of sort of, like some of these tracks are older than tracks that were on our EP. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. That, that were in progress from before then. You know, this was a long work in progress to be able to get this album out. And I think in a lot of ways, some of the tracks sort of just show that, you know, whether through some of the messaging in it or just how it sounds. A- absolutely. And I, I can't, I I think this is, we're, we're going to get to more lyrics as we go further through this album. Today I learned, but I'm, I am so proud of my lyricism in this song, specifically for that first kind of big reveal of lyrics. You know, there, there. Of course, we start with the background, telling me to be the one, telling me to be the hero. Like you get that voice in the back of your head, and we get the to be, to be, to be, be a, be a, be a. Like that vocalization, but then it cuts in with I think you know one of my greatest performances, be a. Be an inspiration to those that cannot see beyond, that cannot see beyond, that cannot see beyond anything they have done before. And, and that, that's, I, I want to have a positive message in my music. As depressing as our music might sound, I'm hoping it's benefiting somebody because I am singing about positive things for the most part. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like everything is up is going to be interpreted a little differently by different people. Absolutely. But but generally, yeah, there is a lot of positivity that you can get out of our music. That that's what I'm going for with this song. Like three times, you know, it's it's kind of like when I look at this album, you know, it's three times and then in parentheses, Bia. And now when I look back on it, it almost might it, it might have should have been switched like Bia and then in parentheses three times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could have been it. Now I think of like Bia as like the lyric helper in case you in case I'm not remembering with because I don't sing. So I don't I don't re- remember lyrics all that well myself. You know, I play the instruments, play the guitar. But, you know, I, I look at it and it's like Bia. us like, ah, now I remember. That's like yeah. one, the, one of the main lyrics in the song. Well, I, I think that's a fantastic transition uh, with what you just said about being the the lyr- uh, sorry the instrumentalist is that we get the first track on this album, track number three, that is instrumental, carrying myself through. And once again, this is this is intended to be a very uplifting song. We want people to listen to this and go, this is going to help me carry myself through a tough time. That's, that's where our notes for this track came from back in the day, where we can say, I am carrying myself through this idea for sure. What, whatever idea that might be, you are carrying yourself through it because that's, that's what you have to rely on for sure. 
I remember this track. We played it uh, uh, as a jam session in person, actually. Yeah, that's um, the next thing I wanted to bring up is that this album is a little disjoint in the sense of there's maybe half the tracks that Matt and I worked on in terms of long distance, and the other half of the tracks is when Matt and I were together. And I have to mention, before we move on, of course, carrying myself through some other tracks we're going to talk about, not only was it Rob and Matt involved, we also had the great Sean M. and James H., and I'm, I'm not giving last names just because, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I would never give last names until they are appreciative of that or accepting of that. But there were bonus artists on these albums, on this album. And they helped us fantastically. Where especially on Carrying Myself Through, it was Rob on 12-string, Rob whistling, Matt on bass guitar, and then we had James H. on percussion, and we had Sean M. on keyboards. And that's one of the things that made this song so perfectly whole. This eight and a half minute track that we fucking crushed it on. We have actually four people, for sure. And and I, I, I have to say, Matt, I, I don't know if I've said this to Matt in the past, but I'm going to say it to him now in our audience. I listened to this track, Carrying Myself Through, a lot and I fucking love it. Oh, me too. Like this, it's this is this is this might be one of our instrumental masterpieces. hundred <laughs> percent. Like like this, this is the way that you edited edited it, especially the fade in at the start, the the mixing of the instruments, the way that we build to certain things. This, this eight minutes is a ride. An emotional, glorious ride. It was very enjoyable to record, too. I do remember we were having a good time that night, partying yep. pretty much. Yeah, we had all playing. four of us together playing music, just jamming out. And, and I know after that whole night was done, that weekend, that week, whatever the fuck it was, when, when you edited this song or chunked it out and you sent it to me, we were both like, I think, if I remember correctly, you sent it to me and you were like, we got to use this. And I listened to it, you know, I sat down for that full eight minutes and I was like, oh my God, you're right, we need to use this. <laughs> and so we did. <laughs> it was fantastic, we used that one and I think we used maybe uh, one or two other ones from that night. Yes, uh, that, that, that's, I'm glad we're able to introduce it here, this instrumental feature, because we have other aspects of it, instrumental or not, later on in this album. So I, I didn't really have much to say other than, you know, carrying myself through is an instrumental, uh, grandiose example of what we stand for as musicians. Did you have anything to say about it, or are we ready to move on to track four? I think we're ready to move on to track four. Yes, and I'm so glad to talk about this. The shortest track on the album, also our most religious track on the album. <laughs> Willows by the Water Courses, originally called, as Matt knows, Red Tenet. Because when Matt did an instrumental portion to send to me, he sent this to me, and I listened to it a few times, and before any lyrics were ever put to it, he was like, you know, th this is this is kind of like a like a like a choir like a religious aspect you know but it, of course it might it might not be for religion it might be against it but it has that motif and i took that and ran with it 
And of course, I need to bring up that the lyrics that exist in this song are based on a Bible verse. They, they are based on a Bible verse, which I don't want to mention because I actually want to throw it to our audience. I love scavenger hunts. Let us know what Bible verse you think this is about. I don't think we'll get any responses about that. But this song is inspired by a Bible verse. That's where my lyrics came from. You know, hey, 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 hey. We're gathered here today to make sure we pray away yesterday. And that that's where I think the the religion versus our music diverges is because I I want to pray in retrospect. I, I think, uh, spoiler alert, Matt and I are not religious people. Uh, we don't subscribe to organized religions in a way that most people do. Uh, religion, is for, I think both of us, as far as we're concerned, is we have beliefs in our life that we stick to. That's a religion. We don't subscribe to Christianity, Catholicism, Buddhism, anything like that. And this song, the lyrics that I wrote, are based off of a Bible verse that goes against the idea of what that Bible verse holds. And that's why I love this song. I mean, I, I love that it's our shortest at, you know, less than two minutes. But at the same time, we're talking about, you know, upon every high mountain and upon every high hill that is lifted up, brooks and water courses, in the day of the great slaughter. It's, it's, it, it is our most religious track, and I love the fact that we are guising a Bible verse in terms of not hatred, but disdain for religion. I, I, abs I absolutely love that you took the motif I was sort of like creating whenever I wrote the song and then you just sort of carried it and like went with it, you know, and, and yeah. made it your own because you did a great job of sort of continuing what it was that I was trying to do, but then putting your own spin on it. I, uh, I, I think if I remember correctly, when you sent me this instrumental, I was kind of like, yeah, Matt, you know, I like it. You know, you sent me a lot of instrumentals and I got to do with it. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know, this, that, the other thing, you know, like literally peek behind the curtains. There's like pages of notes of songs that Matt and I have worked on before lyrics were put to them. And this was one of the ones where I was like, yeah, I don't really think anything special about it. I like it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you were like, well, it's called Red Tenet because it, it should be religious. It should be anti-religious. And I was like... Well, hold, yeah, the so, hold the fucking phone. I got an idea now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know I know you that well, you know. But uh, well, so let me explain like Red Tenet was sort of because, sure. you know, I was thinking of like tenets that religions hold, you know, like the the general idea was just how, you know, I felt like there was a lot of hypocrisy in the peacefulness of what like religion is supposed is, you know, about, you know, in co polite conversation versus mm -hmm. the history of the persecutions that have occurred, you know, in re in reality that we know about that religions pushed, you know, various yes. organized religions. And that's sort of the, uh, uh, the red tenet is blood, you know, the, the violence that the religions often are founded on. Yeah. And I, I always with, thought when you told me red tenet, I thought about the damaged tenet. Like some something has existed that damaged our people and caused that red blood. Absolutely. Say yeah, uh, and very similar. I think that that's uh, that was probably also partially thought of too. But nice. And I really and that... I I have to mention the last lyric. Like I I I do. I, this is more of one of our spoken word songs. I I don't really know if I can call what I do in this song singing, but I I think it's more spoken word. 
with a little inflection of, of melody to fit Matt's music. But I do have to mention, I would be remiss if I did not, is that in the, the last two lines of this song is me speaking, and they shall spring up among the grass as willows by the water courses. This, this is, for the scavenger hunt in you, uh, our audience, this is a verbatim line from the Bible verse that I'm referencing. And I needed to include this once Matt expressed this idea to me because this, this, these two lines from this Bible verse, as they shall spring up among the grass as willows by the water courses, is 100% the inspiration for the animal collective song, Water Curses. So this this is our tie-in to Animal Collective that I and Avi Tear of Animal Collective have drawn upon the same Bible verse for two incredibly different songs. Because I'll put the clip in. If Matt knows the song Water Curses by Animal Collective, it is one of the most upbeat things you've ever heard in your life. It when is. you wake up from your snoozing, yeah, I'll tell you how you're losing, and the knife upon the drawer, and it, it's, it's, it's so happy. And this song, I think, that we've created is nothing, is the farthest thing from happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, it's not something you put on on your birthday, that's for sure. Ooh, yeah. Know, celebrating. It's a, a little bit of a, a more thoughtful song. Yes, you know? and, and I love the fact that we have talked a lot about the shortest track on our album. That's fantastic. We, <laughs> we need to move, though, to another long track, another track that we recorded together in person with those bonus features uh, of James and Sean that I mentioned earlier. Walk Around! And, and I think that I every... Oh, God, I'm, oh, God, Matt knows this. I'm torn about this song. <laughs> I, I know that even before we release this album, after we release this album, Spotify, Bandcamp, whatever, I've said to Matt multiple times, this shit's way too happy. <laughs> Rob, Rob does Rob... not do happy music like this song is. And if you go to Bandcamp and click on the link for this song from our album, you can see all the lyrics. And it is repetitive as hell. And when you listen to it, it's happy as hell. And Matt, I don't, I don't know what you did to me, but this is the happiest song I've ever recorded. Like, um, you, know, I mean, with with our lots band, of inebriation. Yes, that was key. with with, <laughs> with 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 the Immortal Lansberries, with an inferiority complex. I'm the first one to say, hey, I need to take a sad concept and make it a song. Like, you know, like yeah, I I want to sing uh, for six minutes about hating everybody in your life. I want to sing for six minutes about waiting in a doctor's office. I want to sing for, uh, we'll get to it, you know, three minutes about how people smother me. And I I don't know how we captured such an immaculate deception of my personality (laughs) in Uh, seven minutes of song. And and to, to put it in perspective, I love this. I, I find myself singing this to myself. I know. This song has an earworm, right? <laughs> whoa, this is the... whoa, 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 whoa. Walk you know? around. 
to the sound. Like, I don't, I, you're right, Matt. Like, the inebriation aspect, when, because this is, just to put it in perspective, this was just like carrying myself through something that Matt and I recorded together with these two other peoples, uh, James H. and Sean M. I knew we loved it when we recorded it, but it kind of took that month, two months after for you to edit it out, where I was like, why, why did I ever sing this way? How did I ever do this? This is this is happier than I was in the moment. This is happier than I ever will be. <laughs> this I, I would say if you can, you know you why can, we were having a fun time. We were having yes, a lot of fun. I mean, yes, we were it having shows fun. In this but the, I, I would say this is this the, was our Louis Louis. You know, like what we <laughs> did with, uh, with Ethan in college. That was sort of what this song was. I, we were probably I guess, at that point. And <laughs> for the audience, I just laughed so hard that both of my earbuds popped out of my ear. Uh, you you are correct in saying that, but I'm kind of torn with the fact that I I couldn't sing something this optimistic again if I tried. <laughs> <laughs> that that's why this is the anomaly on the on the album for me. And no, I'm not saying we should disregard this song. Nobody should disregard the song. It's a fucking fantastic song. But oh my god, like like if if you want to know what Rob sounds like when he isn't depressed, this is the song to go to. <laughs> we finally got it on recording. I want to give a big shout out to our friend Sean M for his keyboard performance on this song. He, that's very much drives the entire song. You you hit the nail on the head. That 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 secondary performance really drives that song, especially when I do the um let 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 let's walk around like the the way that he matched me in real time on that keyboard nails it. that's another thing that we should say is that you know comparing this to carrying myself through walk around and we'll get to this in later tracks we we didn't practice this this was spur of the moment shit oh yeah this is totally improvised this was written and recorded and never played again like like like, like this one this time seven minutes of walk around was just you know we we just hit it and that, that's another reason why, you know, it's amazing because, like I said, you've captured an optimistic side of me that you will never capture again. And you also captured just pure musicality of people in the same room, the same band, understanding how to react to each other. And that, that's why we put these tracks on the album, whether it be this, Carrying Myself Through, or some of the songs we'll get to. This, this was literally just pure 
musical intention that we captured on, not camera, on recording. And we did it. And th- that's what this album, a, a good part of this album is. It is. And I'm, uh, I love that. I love that this has become a theme, I think, for the Immortal Lansbury's music, musical releases, is that we give this blend with our tracks. And I think that this is, a, a, based on what you and I know as insiders, I think that's going to be a trend that continues. I mean, hopefully in the long term, we can't say for sure given the travel issues, but we know based on what we have recorded <laughs> and ready to release, we're going to continue a sort of similar trend where we're releasing like uh, uh, sort of these uh, some tracks that are just so in the moment got us like in this specific moment in yes. time recording. I'm th- I'm thinking specific of the Dylan tapes. If you remember, there, there's uh, a there's a, a, a spontaneity or a spuriosity of the music that you and I create that is unparalleled. I, I, because, because, you know, I mean, not to throw my other band and Inspiria Complex under the bus, but Jeremy and I, we work on our shit hardcore. Like we take time to refine it. And I'm not saying that we don't make great shit on the first try, but you and I, Matt, we make great shit on the first try. <laughs> we have a good track record for it at least like uh, a third to 50 percent of the album ends up being that way it seems and then the rest of them are ones that we're working on back and forth you know it's weird you know we have some songs that just like recorded bam done like one day we just got it you know other songs that it's like okay i don't know yet about this part we're changing things and and, well, they tend to be a little more complex overall, like more layers and things, but we'll put yep. a lot more time into into some tracks like that. Which but we when, when we hit a thought, we nail that thought, you know? We do, yes. Oh. Or a feeling. Like, really, I think that's what it comes down to is, like, some emotional, like, uh, wavelength that we're <laughs> all riding. Maybe that yep. emotion of, of, of Jack Daniels or... Jim Beam, you know. <laughs> like I right said early in this Jim episode, Beam. this is self-indulgent, but for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't mind if I do. <laughs> exactly. That that's what I got you on here for. With that being said about walk around, I'm very very excited. This is this might be one of the most uh probably the second most excited I've been for a track on this album because we haven't gone to smothered yet. Uh, the next track we have after Walk Around is Under My Skin. And I'm very happy to talk about this because this started as an an inferiority complex song. And I, I've kind of even d- devoted it, demoted it from that. This was a Rob song. When, in, when Rob moved to Colorado, as Matt said, you know, he had only seen me maybe pick up a guitar twice in his life when we lived together, and I had no idea what to do to it. Unless it was a plastic guitar with five buttons, different colors, he, he, he did not see me do anything musical. And when I moved to Colorado and I really started to getting into music, I decided to buy a really good 12-string guitar, and I did. And I, I still own it to this day, and I'm never going to lose it. It's my favorite piece of property, I think, in all time. I spent about a grand on a good 12-string guitar. And once I bought that guitar, I went hard on learning how to play it, on learning how to realize that you don't have two sets of six strings. 
you have 12 separate strings. And I know this is something that Matt and I can talk about with a lot of this tracks is that, you know, I, I really tried to, I really tried to break everything I've ever learned about guitar and teach myself what is a 12 string instrument. And I, to this day, I think one of the reasons Matt loves working with me is that I have 12 strings. Every single one of those strings is separate. And I am really good at hitting those individual strings. My favorite being that high G string. That's the goddamn greatest thing on that instrument. The highest G string. Can't get that nowhere else, you know. Exactly. Nowhere else that got the high G. And, and, you know, I, I've taken a lot of inspiration and learning from Alex Lifeson, uh, real name Sivil Yidovich from Rush. Uh, he, he is one of the people that I've emulated the most is because he knew that you don't have two sets of six. You have 12 separate strings. It doesn't matter how close they are. If you're good enough, you can hit them separately. And I love that aspect. Whenever I play my 12 string, I make sure if I'm hitting the high or the low, I make sure if I'm getting one octave or another, and that has taught me a lot about music. And when I bought this 12-string and I started writing music, one of the first songs I ever came up with was called Under My Skin. And I messed around with this song for years. I was playing it every day. I was learning it inside and out. I was learning not only to play this song, but sing it at the same time. And I was getting at the idea of... Addiction. That's what this song is about. Addiction. I would say hardcore that when you talk about under my skin, you're talking about something that you are addicted to getting under your skin and making decisions for you, whether you like it or not. And Jeremy, the other member of N Inspiriority Complex, he loves this song, but we made the decision one day where we had so much other stuff. Jeremy said to me, hey, Rob, I love your vocals, but uh, that's that's not what I want to do. Jeremy said, I want to be musical. I want to be instrumental. And I said, great. I, I agree with you. We, we should be instrumental. And once that happened, once that decision was made, I think in the same day, I texted Matt and I said, hey, I'm going to send you maybe four or five videos of me playing guitar and singing at the same time with some musical ideas. And you latched on to them fucking hard, as I knew you would. And one of them was Under My Skin. And the moment that you heard Under My Skin, I think you loved it. And you were like, yeah, I, I don't care how simple the guitar part is. I don't care how much you own of this song. I'm going to put my own bass part to it. I'm going to put my own little layering to it. And this eventually became one of the my favorite tracks off of Today I Learned. The last two lyrics of Under My Skin might be the best thing I've ever written and might be the best thing I ever will write. Because the last two lyrics are, I'd peel it off to get you out. I'd peel it off to get you in.
I do not know if I can ever write a greater understanding of how I feel about addiction. Because this song, Under My Skin, imagine, the next time our audience listens to this song, imagine someone scratching at themselves. Scratching at themselves because they've been addicted to something for so long. And once you break the skin, once you scratch yourself down to the bone, you say to yourself, well, now that I'm here, why not put more in? So I love I, it. I want to throw it over to you, Matt, because, like I said, this was a very uh, this was a Rob song that I threw at you that you put some great bass lines to. Um, what, what are your thoughts uh, this, this on song, this song? This song was a game changer. Uh, whenever I first heard this song, and you sent it to me. That's whenever I realized, all right, we're taking our music seriously. You know, it, it's it's moved up to the next level. Uh, I my hear this. Di- I'm like, this dick, is a flushed out song. My dick just got hard hearing you say that. I love hearing you say that I did something art, art artistic <laughs> in music. Finally, art, art, I mean, artistic. It was like complete, and it also was something that was I that I could very much relate to because, of like, with the subject matter you're talking about, it's just stuff that I'm familiar with. You know, living in Western Appalachia, Pennsylvania, that gets under your skin. Absolutely. It becomes part of you and it's, uh, you know, it could be the parasite making the decisions for you. And that's uh, it's interesting because like like you said, it could be for good or bad. You know, it's not like people think of uh, addiction often in very limited terms as far as what is on, you know, the schedule as as you need help type of thing. But but that that's another point I wanted to make with this song is that, you know, how, how can you tell me I need help with my addiction? If I can write this song because of it, if I was never addicted to alcohol and, you know, I'm speaking on my, my personal thing is, you know, Rob is an alcoholic and he hates it, but that, that would never have given birth to this song if he wasn't facing those troubles in his own life. And, and I think this goes to a motif that we'll talk about later on with another song in this album, uh, great problems, great pain make great art. That is some wise words of wisdom. That, As, that's what we're going for. I, I think that this is kind of the thesis of this album is that, you know, you, you shouldn't feel good when you're listening to this album, even though there's highs and lows, like walk around, like we yeah, talked about. It, it don't get us wrong. Sometimes you may feel good, but it, that's not the purpose. That's mm-hmm. not the point. It's not a da- get up and dance, have a good time on the, you know, doing your Saturday night fever or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a little more introspective i wanted to ask you specifically because i don't think this is something we've ever done just focusing on this song um of course like like we said rob wrote this song and and matt thought it was a game changer and added to it as he could which made it the the grandiose album version that we have but um there's a there's a segment of this song that i think is so intrinsically important to not only what I am going for, but I think what Matt and I are going for, it is the the sequence of lines, pioneering earth scraper, robber baron of hope, soul and city rolled into me. 
And I, I, I just, I just want to throw it over you, man. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I mean, I mean, this is something that I think we can both relate to, right? What are your thoughts on that, on that I, bit? Pioneering Earth Scraper, Robber Baron of oh, oh, oh. City rolled into me. Bite my fingernails until they. What I well, let me explain that those are definitely my favorite lines from the song, and that's because it it creates such a uh, a visual response. I want to yes. say like the pioneering pioneering earth scraper in particular. Just you know, I I can visually see like an enormous hole being dug almost. Yes, you know? it it's uh, colorful and uh, it is poetic. You know, so there's a lot that I really like about those lyrics. Um, nice. Really what no, I, no, that, that, that's exactly what I was looking for. And I just, just since we're since we're doing this discussion of our album, I, I want to give complete re, uh, detail is that, you know, we, we have lived, all of us, me, you, Matt, anybody who's listening to this, we've lived through the era of skyscrapers. We have built buildings so tall that they scrape the sky. Ha ha ha. My thought in this lyrics is, why don't we do that but the opposite way? Why don't we dig office buildings into the ground? Why don't we make earth scrapers? If we have skyscrapers, why don't we have earth scrapers? And, and, that, and that also divulges into the idea I'm, go- I'm going in these lyrics is that I say pioneering earth scraper. That even though we don't have buildings built into the ground— we as ourselves divulge into feelings intrinsically to ourself. I mean, the, the most common example would be when you're depressed, you, you carve out the meaning of your existence and feel it's no good. But you shouldn't feel it's no good. You should feel that you are just diving into existence in a different way than humans do. There's no, there's no feature or fact to think that going up towards the sky is better than going further into the ground. We only have that as a result of tradition. And that glides neatly into the next line of robber baron of hope. Because when you think you're digging deeper into yourself, you think you are stealing your existence, your thoughts of beneficiaries. And that's not the case. Because I I, I think Matt can attest to this. You can dive deep into yourself and dig a hole into your heart and come out looking all the better for it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's how you can learn about yourself, right? Exactly. You need that intrinsic response. And then, of course, I I need to mention, because this is the episode about this song, this album, uh, one of my favorite lines, another one of my favorite lines I've ever written, Soul and city rolled into me. I I love the fact that you can say soul and city rolled into me. That you and your experience, soul is you, city is your experience. They roll together to make you who you are. And then I I, I have to mention 
that following soul and city rolled into me, we get the line, bite my fingernails until they bleed. And Matt knows for a fact this is Rob 100% because he does this on a weekly basis. <laughs> yes, yes, Rob has that affliction. The, yeah, I, I am a, I'm a fingernail biter. Uh, I, I have not changed that since we've moved away from each other, Matt. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had to bring that up just because, you know, that, that is where the Rob bleeds in more than the experience bleeds in. You know, you hear Rob talk about biting fingernails, and you'd think that he would be the most nervous person in the world, and it's like totally the opposite. Rob is like <laughs> one of the most confident people that I've ever met because everything he does is, you know, something he knows really well. He doesn't do something without, like, knowing the ins and outs of it and becoming a master. Chewing a fingernail is so satisfying. Oh. <laughs> under my skin oh. under my skin you see where this is coming you see where that song is <laughs> call your sponsor tell him <laughs> to bite your fingernails instead <laughs> for everybody listening this is for you this is to really put you in the room so that you, you can just see Rob going at it <laughs> it's like, a, like he's eating a watermelon well well, if there's nothing else for you to say about Under My Skin, I think we've dove, we've dived into more than I thought we would. Matt is, <laughs> Matt is losing his mind on the video right now. Uh, we are going to go into probably the goofiest, most fun song on the album, So Far We. And I think what, what better way to start this is than by telling our audience when... If you say so far we fast enough, it sounds like safari, and that's what we're singing about. And this is another track that I wanted to bring up to Matt and our audience that, you know, Rob just had some fun with. I think this is one of the first tracks on this album, one of the first tracks Matt ever sent me, period, where he just gave me some instrumental, and I responded with goofy fun nonsense, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was great because I honestly did not expect to get anything from it. Like I was, I I sent it to you not knowing what to expect because like I, there was a part of me that's like this is this is pretty cool, you know. But then there's another part of me that's like I have no idea what to do with this. And then you took it and ran with it. I I really I really loved the instrumental you sent me because you know we'll we'll put the clip in of sure. But you know the first time I listened to this, I'm I got my headphones on. I I double click bring into VLC see the track Matt sent me and it's it's a great riff and I I have no story behind why I thought Safari I have no story behind where these lyrics came from but whatever happened I was just like we're going on a safari <laughs> and I, I felt that this needed to be in terms of this album today I learned this needed to be the anthem for some to some extent. Like, I wanted just to sing about what was happening. And I think that's the best way to put it is because, you know, in things like Distinct Ways, Walk Around, Under My Skin, the other tracks we're going to get to, I was thinking of thematic ideas and, and really bringing certain themes to the table where so far we is literally just someone singing about a safari. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. We, we need that. But we need that surface level, right? I'll, I will say we were talking... <coughs> uh, I'll say earlier that we were talking about 
walk around as though that is the most like optimistic like sounding yes. i mean lyrics definitely for sure that you've you've sung but i would say that so far we is that is like the bounciest most uh positive song on oh, the album oh that that you are absolutely right and i do want to make special notion or mention of the version of so far we that exists on bandcamp because if you listen to this on Spotify, you're going to get just me, Matt, playing music, Rob singing lyrics. If you listen to it on Bandcamp, the intro is Steve Harvey, a clip from him, his, his stand-up special in 1995, his bit that he does, Africa is scarier than the projects. And that's where this, the idea of this song came from. Because the moment that I heard this music... I had been well aware of Steve Harvey and this bit for years, and I was like, well, fuck yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to talk about a safari. Fun nonsense. And, and when I say fun, I talk about, you know, the second verse. Gotta run from that hippo. Gotta run from that wildebeest. We're gonna run from that old native man. He knows just where to eat. And that talks about the safari, but when I end this song, I say... We wasted tons of money. We wasted tons of time. The drink the shaman made taste funny, and now I don't feel fine. It, it, I, I think that, you know, not to toot our own horn. Well, fuck us. This whole episode is tooting our own horn. We, we wrote a definitive safari song, right? We did, and that is uh, such a fun story to listen to in my mind, especially the shaman bit. I love that aspect that I feel like that's very relatable to me because that's exactly what I would want to do if I was going on some grand adventure. Take an adventure of the mind as well. Dude, you know? I, I I hit it. That's another thing. Like I said earlier, I, I think that I hit that lyric fantastically. And yeah. the drink the shaman may taste funny and now I don't feel fine. Like in in, in the, the the actual recording that we have on the album – I think that I did something I am hard pressed to come up again with because I hit I hit the lyrics on this perfectly. And I don't I don't know if I can ever do it again. Yeah, it was excellent. I, I love that song. The rhyming was so good on it. And it was just uh, I was blown away whenever you sent it, what you had back to me. Cause it was Dude, like, this is not what I had expected at all. I didn't expect anything. <laughs> Dude, that, that that's what I wanted to bring up because I remember I sent you these lyrics and they were a little different from what we have in the album. Uh, honestly, th there were more lyrics that we cut out for the album. Um, but like I was kind of blown away that when I sent you this, you were like, oh, oh, fuck, you thought about this song? And I was like, hell, hell yeah, man. Like, we're going on a safari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was one of the weird ones that I expected to be one of our sort of fuzzy ideas that, like, probably never we'd revisit again, ever. <laughs> and like, and it, became, it became some of the hardest <laughs> shit we've ever recorded, like the most meaningful shit we've ever recorded. And, and a perfect yeah. fit on this album, yeah. Dude, And, absolutely. like, this is... This is specifically the song that really makes me regret us not being able to have that uh, sample on our Spotify release. Uh, yes. like, and, it, and this um, song, if you're going to listen to anything on Bandcamp, listen to So Far We so you can listen to that. Yeah, you're uh, right. The, the Wasted Days can... intro, I'm sorry, not Wasted Days, uh, the, the intro of um, the Carrying Myself Through, it doesn't give a fuck when we hear Martin Mole from Clue. You know, we had that clip. It doesn't matter. Like, literally, I'm with you, Matt. Like, 
the, the Steve Harvey clip that you will hear on our band camp at the start of So Far We is a literal junction to this song, for sure. Yeah, it was the perfect fit, and uh, I, I think that people will definitely enjoy it. I remember when, when we did that, like, we picked our track order, and then the next day I was like, hey, Matt, listen, I picked some clips, and you were like, Oh my God! <laughs> you were like, you were like, Rob. What did you do? How did you make this better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. Oh man, and you, and this was after month. Like we spent months and months working on just like we spent a huge period of time just working on organizing these tracks oh, into like yeah. we had all them all recorded and ready to go, and it was just. We need to put them in order in a, in the, the correct order the and details, do the transitions. The and order. Rob was a champion going through there, adding transitions for all of our songs. The transitions, the clips, the the titles. Like we we spent fucking months on this shit. You know, like I I don't I think that at this point I'm gonna reiterate it, but nobody thinks otherwise. Like we we did not just throw this together. We we spent so long talking about how this album should be constructed and and that's why we're discussing it you know if we had thrown it together well fuck i we would do a two-minute episode going hey hey matt and i are mortal lensberries check out our album blah you know but there's a reason we're talking about these layers because these layers played a role in our process for sure and we'll probably reveal the process to come for what else uh, uh you know I, I don't think that we're really deviating from the formula a whole lot with what we're going to be doing in the future or releasing in the future oh yeah other get, than that it's going to be improved get, it's get going ready to, for this same episode but for our next album whenever it comes I, out absolutely yes, <laughs> yes and i'm so excited for that because our next album is this but more bigger yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and I think to transition from that, I have to ask you, Matt, uh, où sont les portes de l'enfer? <laughs> <laughs> if, if nobody I knows visit that, the gates of hell. <laughs> that, yes, yes, for anybody in our audience that does not speak French, uh, that is the only lyric in the, uh, the track Wasted Days, Where Are the Gates to Hell? <laughs> this is... I, ah, this is goddamn one of my most favorite tracks on this album because not only do we have a great bass line by Matt, we have some great French speaking by me, who does not speak French, coupled with sound waves, waves, like literal ocean waves of sound from when I spent time in Hawaii. And I, I, don't, I don't know how far you want to get into this because I think maybe... There might be a further pitch talking about the gates of hell as we go into our career. But that's what I want to throw it over to you, Matt, because you know, Matt knows Rob and the gates of hell has a huge history. It does. It but, does. But, but when I listen to this song, I don't think it impacts this song as much as the sound effects do of me literally just laying on a towel on the, on the, on the Hawaiian beaches at night recording it you know so so i want to throw it over to you what do you think about wasted days well you threw in some good sound effects with it for sure with the ocean waves but uh so before we talk about the uh, the gates of hell really um I, I would just say this is probably one of my favorite songs on the album and we mentioned previously our influences 
and I think this is where one of them really shows, and it's not a, so much a music influence as it is a, a film one, and that's David Lynch. Like, I've, I've told you this before, and I don't know if you remember, but this song always reminded me of that, uh, like, scene from Twin Peaks whenever they're in the Red Lodge, and it's sort of like... Uh, there's like a bar kind of thing that they're at. I don't know. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I think so. Very late in season two. Yeah. And and it's, it, it makes me think of music that I would expect to hear in that kind of place. You it, know, like, even a, we, like a very not, eerie kind of. Yeah, we are not producing music in reverse. It's still eerie enough. You're right. Yes. And and I, I get that sense because the, the I think the, the main focal point of this track, Wasted Days, is in the fact that, you know, I I literally, like, at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night in Hawaii, I went out to the edge of the water, and I sat down, and I said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my towel down, I'm going to lay on the sand, and I'm going to record the sound of the waves, and I got more than I bargained for because when I recorded the sound of the waves, I also got the restaurant that was near. And that's the kind of cheering and the voices you hear in the background. And that's what makes this song work. It's not just nature. It's the human influence and discrepancy of nature, almost. Because it's wasted days. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is that, and, and like whenever I listen to it, I hear this minimalism that I really like. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it sort of sets a scene in my mind of this like very low key jazz band. I know I was doing dark. it. I was doing it I behind know. your vocals before uh, for, for editing purposes, but I do want to mention it again. I love this song because of your bass riff. And in the background, you hear people clinking glasses in the distance. You hear people laughing in the distance. It's almost that discrepancy that when you listen to our album, you are feeling in real time the distance between human and nature. On one side, on the left side of your microphone, you hear people having a good time clinking glasses, eating food, having a good time. But the other side, the right side, you hear waves crashing. And and that's, I think, when Wasted Days, that's why it's called Wasted Days. Because who's to say? Every moment you've ever spent with good friends, how, how, can you say that's better than you being out in nature? It's an existential question that we're not trying to answer. We're trying to pose. I totally agree with that. It was it's a it's a great song that's really atmospheric and shows that point in time. And I also think this is the point in the album where you really catch your breath, you know, before yes goes into our next before it goes into our next song on the album. Did, I, I, think I, was, I do want to say, Matt, before you continue, I think this is my second favorite song on our album, Wasted Days. Nice, yes, I, I think that I would probably put it in a similar ranking. On okay, mine. okay, I, I, I think we might. I disagree. might be able to guess your number one. I'm not sure. Well, well, I don't I, know. I've well, no. Let's let's fucking do it right now because we got the power of editing. Um, what do you think is my favorite song off this album? If I were to guess, I would say "Smothered." <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. My number one song off this album is "And." 
That would have been my second. Yes, guess. I know. I know. Okay. Okay. Because okay. like those two are up there in my like absolute favorites too. And I think that we have a similar mindset on this at this point, though. I think when the album was maybe being made, we had different views. Perhaps. Yes. And uh, I think that that's, that's the hallmark of great, um, not filmmakers, but music makers as Matt and I are, is that we constantly change our opinions on these ideas because we, we think about these things constantly, you know? We have to talk about the the clear fan hit of our album, yes. Smothered. Yes, uh, I think that Smothered is, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with that description, Rob. That is our most popular song for sure. And it I is, think that it is a great song. We put a lot of time and work into that song. It is the most played song on our Spotify this is me singing, Rob singing, and Matt playing guitar. This is one of the simplest songs we have on this album. And it's almost unreal because this was done in one take. Not only from Rob's end, but from Matt's end. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but you texted me that night and you said, Hey, I busted out my guitar. I made a great riff. I did it on my phone. I recorded it on my phone. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about it? You know, I know we got a bunch of other songs we're working on, and you don't have to get at this in any any hardcore, you know, steadfast, quick uh, material. And I remember coming back from the bar one night when that was a thing, when I could still hang out with people at bars. I came back, and I said, well, whoa, fuck, Matt texted me earlier. He gave me a song. Let me listen to that song. I listened to it once. No, I listened to it a half a time. I fucking busted out my microphone, I hooked it up to my computer, and I recorded what you hear now as Smothered. Because I don't think I've ever heard something that I have felt this strongly about needed to have a story told. And I'm not saying that when I heard this music, I was like, oh, this is about being smothered in relationships. No, no, no. I'm going even further than that. I'm saying that when I heard this music... It struck a chord with me with what needed to be said. And that's what I said. I put this down in one goddamn take. I sang the whole, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you how much I hate being, being, being smothered. And I I didn't think much of it. In all honesty, I did not think much of this. And I sent it to Matt. And Matt was like, what the fuck did you do last night? And I was like, whoa, no, you hate it? And he goes, no! You fucking broke the mold of everything we've ever done! And I listened to it the next day, and I was like, oh my god, how did I do this? <laughs> this is lightning in a bottle, as far as the world is concerned. Smothered, one of my favorite tracks of ours, one of my favorite distillations of my vocals, this... This came out of nowhere. This was this is legitimately a one-hit wonder in the sense that Matt did a take, I did a take, and it changed the facet of people listening to us. This is the only song that we have on Spotify that has more than a thousand plays. And we did it in three days with one take each. That's amazing! I don't know how we did it, but I'm so impressed. Like, I love yes! the soulfulness of everything that we like. We really captured the emotion of the moment, you know, whenever what, what we were feeling in the moment when we played that, I think. Dude, you know? yeah, it, that, that you're right. This is 
I, I do not know, um, with the exception of a track we'll get to, and I do not think I've ever put more emotion into these lyrics than anything else. It really shows. And, you know, we went through some time afterwards, after we had it recorded 100% to figure out just, like, what kind of finishing touches can we do to really, yes. you know, bring uh, to, to make this done. And that was sort of around the period we added, started adding some samples and transitions for the album. Yeah. And I remember we went through a period of time where we sort of went back and forth almost arguing, I'd say, about the samples to use in this song. And I remember, uh, like... One of the things that you wanted to do was something that was sort of like wedding bells or chime, like like there was a yep. very specific kind of bell that you were looking for. And I think I tried presenting a couple different things, but I don't think it worked out. You know, I don't think it was what you were looking for. And I remember you're like wedding bells, you know, and then you, you sent me this version that is what we hear on the album and it has these wedding bells reversed. Reverse. producing this like swell into that that's where i give it to you is that you know you 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 never you never said oh i have a problem with lyrics you never had a problem with the layout we were just looking for effects with the instrumentalization and i had a great idea of what i wanted and you had a great idea of what you wanted and i was i took your idea and i was like oh my god if i reverse that it's fucking amazing and that's what it is and i think that that's what gave way to the fantastic not only later in the song but the intro to the song i i am whether or not it's our music because i i've been known to gush over my own music literally the the intro few seconds to smothered is some of the best sounds i've ever heard your guitar comes in oh my god God, it makes me ready to blast off like in a spaceship, interstellar style. <laughs> Dude, we, yeah, we 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 hit lightning in a bottle that we never thought expected with this song for sure. It's, yeah, yeah, it's really great, and I, I still remember recording it and sending it to you. At, you know, I recorded it in the voice memo app on my phone. <laughs> And yeah, I sent like, it to you, and I'm like, Rob, just sort of, you get it, you know, this isn't the final version, this is just, you know, I just recorded this, Don't you can sort of ignore it, like, I'm expecting it to be, like, garbage, Rob's like, ah, oh, you know, I got nothing for it, and then he sends me back this masterpiece of lyrics. And we just became sold, there. we knew this had to be a part of this first album, and uh, it's probably the song that I think Matt and I are most proud of, you know, we're proud of this whole album, but this song is just... We, I know, I know I listened to it and I'm just like, God damn, like we, we, we broke ground that I don't think we ever could with our first set of releases, especially what work we were working on to that point for sure. Yep. I totally agree. So everybody check out Smothered, uh, especially because, you know, I didn't get into it too much. Uh, I do want to touch a little bit on the concept of, um, it is about relationships, not, you know, uh, physical with with a woman, with a man, with with a boyfriend, girlfriend. I'm not saying it's that. It is very much about a relationship with everybody, 
And I think that's why it works so well as a set of lyrics because, you know, when, when I say I hate being smothered, you could, you could put that point to anybody. And, and this is a universal song that I think that we love. It sounds great, and we can hit that nail home uh, today and for as long as we're alive, for sure. I hope this is the one, this is the one song I never want to uh, relieve from humanity. I hope that, you know, maybe 10 million years from now, when they're finding dead spaceships and scriptures, they find this song, you know? <laughs> you never want to relieve humanity of this song. As though th- this song is, go- is, the, is humanity's punishment. It's timeless, you know, yes. <laughs> you, well, it's a, it's a life sentence. Everybody, <laughs> everybody must listen to Smothered yes. until, until the end of time. <laughs> and then we'll relieve you of your punishment. Perfect. <laughs> and that brings us to... The next number 10 track on our album, Crispin Hershey's Desiccated Embryos, an instrumental track that Matt and I recorded together once again uh, with the benefit of James H. and Sean M. Uh, We kind of knew, I think, you know, if correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but this was one of the tracks that we recorded and we knew it needed to be on there. The title came later. But if I remember correctly, this is one of our instrumental tracks that we kind of love from the start. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we picked out like pretty much all the ones that were on the album from that jam session. We knew yes. were going to be released once we uh, once we played them because it was like I, I remember the feeling of recording it. It was like this is something special. You know, yeah, we had to do something. that that's a good and way I, to put it. Is that you know I I can't. I was before this recording. I was trying to think of how to describe this song because you know we described carrying myself through with a lot of thematic imagery of doing exactly that, carrying yourself through. Crispin Hersey's Desiccated Embryos, the title comes from the David Mitchell book, The Bone Clocks. Crispin Hershey is a character in that book, and his most famous novel, he's an author, is Desiccated Embryos, and that's a very minor point of this novel. Crispin Hershey plays a greater role, but it kind of took months for Matt and I playing with this song, him mastering it, me listening to it for to finally say, well, hey, you know, this gives me a sense of what I always felt when I read this book, you know, when I was living in Canada. And I said, I, I think I remember I said to you, Matt, I'm like, well, what I want to call it Crispin Hershey's Desiccated Embryos. And you were like, fuck yeah, I don't know what you just said, but fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. And... <laughs> And I don't, I don't think there's – I think this is a great juxtaposition to this song with the rest of our album is that there's no greater theme to this song. We made a great instrumental track that we knew needed to be shared, and I gave it this great literary reference name, and, and that's kind of it, right? Did you have anything else to say about this seven-minute track? Yeah, I mean, not really, other than it's sort of like an epic journey as you listen to it. It has some, I, I think, some of the things I like most about this track is it has another good highlight of Sean M's uh, 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 synth playing. It, it, it is a journey. I like and, that you said a journey, because in this seven minutes, you are really going through instrumentalization that you don't really get in the rest of this album. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it's a much longer thought. I'd say than what you get in some of the other tracks. So it takes a little more, you know, sit through it, listen to it, you know, as one whole thing. But I, I, I think it's 
an enjoyable experience when you do. Oh it. yeah, so. I, I I I do listen to this song a lot because it's so easy to absorb whether you're focusing on it or as background music. It is it is just a, an all encompassing piece for sure. Yeah, it's great to throw on whenever you're playing a video game or something for sure. I love that about instrumental music in general, but. This song and some of our other instrumental tracks are great yes, for that sound. Yes. some sound. And <laughs> even even if you disregard the idea of Crispin Hershey, Crispin Hershey being a character from the David Mitchell novel Bone Clocks, which I mentioned, um, desiccated embryos is always something I fell in love with ever since I read it in that book. Desiccated, of course, like desiccant, like silica, silica gel, it is removing liquid. A desiccated embryo is an embryo, embryo with all its liquid removed. That's a very interesting thought and imagery to me, for sure. Like, Because, you know, embryos are surrounded by placenta, and, and that's that- all amniotic fluid. Imagine if you took all that fluid away, what would an embryo be? A desiccated embryo is almost something contradictory to nature. Yeah, I mean, it would be terrifying, which is, as some th- uh, some things that go from the psyche of the immortal Lansbury's might venture into the terrifying land of something yes. similar to the Twilight Zone sometimes. That's where we head, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love yeah. it, I love it. I, I think that, I wanted to talk about this track in that sense that I think this is our... our our most uh, philosophical slash uh, transmutogenic name, Crispin <laughs> Hershey's Desiccated Embryos. Like, every song really kind of gets it, as we've talked about, what the song is describing. And then this is the longest and the most obscure. And that's what we're going for. You know, there, it, this is... We're, we're not one topic. We're all over the place, but still cohesive in our album at the same time. I agree, right? With that being said, we have to talk about and. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm saying it that way because of uh, we. I do want to mention in this recording uh, there is a video of Rob performing this song that is not released. Yeah, you're not allowed to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is literally only Matt and I have seen it, and I think we can both agree it's a great video. Rob makes some great facial expressions, but he starts and ends it with going, and, like, in the most obnoxious way possible. <laughs> that that sums it up exactly. <laughs> this, this is another track, just like Under My Skin, that Rob wrote when he got his 12-string guitar. And Rob took the idea of rhyming and wanted to drown that concept. I... I hated when I first started creating music and writing music, you know, when I bought my 12 string in 2015, 2016, I hated the idea of structure. And I think Matt can agree with that. Rob wants to break form. And and is one of the songs where I said, well, why don't I yell at the audience for three verses? And then literally the end of the song is rhyming the same thing over and over. And that's where this song came from. Because, of course, I, I, I mean, to, to lead into what um, Matt added to it is I had a lot of different versions of the song. Matt saw a lot of different videos, a lot of different lyrics. And he said in, in one of the, the versions I, I kind of started to hate, he said, hey, I like this. 
And I said, why do you like it? And he goes, because it starts with the lyrics, if you're listening, I salute you. And that is the version we have on our album because it encapsulates the 11th track perfectly. Yes, yes. That is why we put that song at the end of the album, too, because it's like if you have listened through the rest of this album, you've made it through to and it's like I salute you. I am thankful you know, like I'm grateful that you've uh, chosen. You've made to... it. You, 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 yeah, you, you put the effort. In. If you're listening, I salute you. And and I mean, you know, we go on in this in this to say, you know, no, we follow it up. I follow it up directly with, if you're listening, I salute you. No words don't constitute truth. And that's another line I absolutely love that I've written because I I hate when I when I make art. When I write lyrics, art is the more prominent example. Matt is known. I've been drawing for a long time before I started this band. Is I hate when people are like, oh, you made this. You must believe it. You must believe it, and you must feel that way. And that is not the case. When I, when I get into a fucking lyrical progression, like talking about how much I hate doctors, I don't really hate doctors. I'm doing that because I wrote a good song about it, you know? Yeah, and it's an idea you're exploring for a project. It exactly. doesn't mean it's religion or something. And that that's why Matt and I work so well together because, you know, Matt doesn't see me as surface-level nonsense. Matt sees me as a creative force, and that's exactly what I see Matt as. And that's why the point of this song and what I would truly consider the last track of this album of course, we have to talk about what's chomping, but when I think of this album, the last track is and. It, it, it's summarizing what we're going for in the previous 10 tracks to a, a literal like deposition of context. And I, I don't want to jump ahead, but you know, I, I say when I'm starting to sing the rhyming part, yet this is my hand, with it I stand, shouting... How grand! This is what we're dealt. This is what we've created. We are putting things out there because we can. Nobody should ever listen to our music and go, wow, this is the distillation of these people as a whole. No! This is what the time made us to be. This is what the artistic endeavor of the few years that we worked on it made us to be. We have thoughts beyond and below Everything this album concludes. And that, okay. I, I, I hate the idea that people say that we are this, you know? And I've had that, you know, just to... It's a moment in time. You're always captured. That's what art is, is a capture of a moment in yes. time. Yes. The way you're experiencing it or... Yeah, that's generally it, you know, how I experience... And a memory, maybe, you know, or yes. just a concept or an idea, you know? Could even be a joke that you're, you're writing. Absolutely about. right that we say things for musical purposes that don't correlate to the real world. As we said before, the system says, and what else you got? You know? We we want more nonsense to make music. They don't care how much we put into an effort, whether it be smothered, whether it be uh, wasted days, whether it be distinct ways, all that stuff. And I know that we said at the start, Matt and I are not making this music to become famous. We're not making this music so we can get a good paycheck. 
we're producing and releasing this music in two different ways. Like we said, album on Bandcamp versus album on Spotify are wholly different. We're doing this to release our art intrinsic artistic ideals our our music is a side project that is for our own personal benefits i think just to be able to as a means of expression and then also as something that we can appreciate as being able to get certain ideas out there to communicate to other people and a means of transmission of those ideas that's how i a lot of our music that that um, is why Matt and I work so well together because I'm ne- I'm never gonna forget Matt that the first time I sent you that video of me performing and on my twelve string guitar and you know that 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 lacked some of the first few verses of you know talking about the idea of not rhyming but when it gets to that rhyming part which is the origin of that song you know it says well aware of my current wasteland. All we do is misunderstand while our senses are slammed. And and that that's why I brought this song to you in the future, because you wrote on this album the greatest bass hit ever to punctuate that fucking idea. You know, I bump, remember bump, that bump, line. Bump, bump, you know, you you wrote that. And I you, heard that line and I was like, there needs to be some kind of musical climax to go along with this. With you, what I, whatever you, I was contributing, and I happened to do bass in this song. You, and I, you I was, punctuated such the idea that I was looking for. I really appreciate you saying that. That's cool to know because I, I do. Uh, I, I put some time into that, into trying to think about that and practicing the bass and making sure that it sounded the way that it did on the album. Dude, that's that that I mean, not to not to disregard you, but when you when you sent me that, you know, I go uh, you know, I do that that riff on the 12 string guitar like bump 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 bump. You added the bass of bump like you added that arpeggio and I was like, "Oh my god. I've never been so sexually aroused by a song before." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. You you apparently haven't listened to much Frank Zappa. <laughs> <laughs> Catholic girls. <laughs> the only track we have left to talk about is uh, more on my end. Uh, what you chomping? I uh, uh, it's it, it's become a well known thing, I guess. Um, that when Rob gets the chance to sit down with a computer. Uh, he he has become well versed in GarageBand, in Linux Multimedia Studio. This might have been one of the first times where I think I texted you, "Hey, I made a song. What do you think about it?" And I sent you a full song, right? <laughs> and and this was one of the first times that it was very he- more heavily arranged. I would say so. It was oh, like Rob oh, put some time into arranged. using. Yeah, so using that uh, that the software and stuff to be able to get the tracks lined up just correctly. This, this and on took top me of about seven hours real time to create, it, and then I was like, "Matt, what do you think?" And I'll throw it over to you for sure. It, and uh, I mean, I love it, you know. And uh, the, whenever he sent it to me, that's why I said, "I'm like, this is great." This uh, then I was like, "This is totally a different direction from everything else we've recorded on this album." Yes. You know? 
And you know, we talk about it and we ended up deciding, all right, well, this is the appropriate track to put immediately following and because and right. is sort of setting the stage for what's to come. You know, and, and, and so what's next? What do you got for me? You what know, do, and then it's like, got? here you, you go. You, you can give me 50 minutes of beautiful music, <laughs> but the human nature is to say, OK, and and, and this it, is our and. Absolutely. This is our response. This is a sort of sampling, a, a smattering, if I may say so, of what to expect and what we're going to release in our second album. And we were thinking about that as early as our first album, putting these songs together. And I think that one of the notable things you'll see in What You're Chomping or you'll listen to in What, what You're Chomping is that there's more of an electronic uh, element to it. Uh, and I'm not saying that the next album is going to be an electronic album, but you will notice some songs that will have, you know, a, a, a heavier lean in that direction. It's You'll more, notice it's more electro electronic and it's more organized for sure. Yes. Yeah. More. Well, yeah. And more f like fleshed out songs, really. Yeah, like, in, in, in a this, lot I mean, I, I don't really want to say fleshed out. I want to say since I, you know, put it together, it's a. It's it's timing done in a piano roll, for sure. Like like it has oh, oh. that timing. What you're chomping, right? Right, absolutely. And and you, I'm with you. That's that's not what our next album is going to be. Maybe there's a song in the album that's like that. But this is a response to when you when you say well, what else you got. This is what else we got. The ability to make sounds in a fucking piano roll that follows a logical rubric and it, it kills it fucking kills this song is great yes and it it leads us yes it, it's perfect it, it's perfect as the can as the last track of this album and as the continuation to springboard us into the next album i mean yeah take, which... take my gums peel them back <laughs> <laughs> I don't wish yeah, that. Yeah, that, that is another anybody. thing. Like I've mentioned multiple times, that you know, you're you can go into disturbing places with your lyrics. This is another one that is probably one of, maybe the most gruesome of places you go lyrically. Whenever, like, I don't know if you want to describe to any listeners exactly what it is you're singing oh, about. Of course, and what you're I chomping, do. but it's it's nightmarishly horrific. This, this like, entire it, song came from two aspects because, you know, like we already said, Rob sent this mu music to Matt and he gave him the lyrics also. Uh, I, I feel like the main lyrics are uh, take my gums and peel them back versus send me a postcard in six months. Uh, I, I know somebody that has had done periodontic scaling. If you are unfamiliar, oh god, I'm even I'm I'm getting queasy at the thought of this. Periodontic scaling is when a dentist takes a little swab on a on a little little sharp thing and they peel back your gums and swipe away the the, the digestion and the, and the bacteria from between your teeth and gums. Like literally gum surgery. That is what periodontic scaling is. I'm not okay with this. <laughs> <laughs> this is some David Cronenberg level shit. Yes. Like body horror. Legitimate I, body horror. I had to write a song about it. 
I just sat there for eight hours recording lyrics, looping them, recording sounds, and I sent it to Matt, and Matt said, okay, I think I got a, a guitar part for the last half of this song, and it turned out to be the greatest thing. Uh, you were the one who does the screeching, you know, bum, 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 and it just turns to that screeching at the end of the song, and it's the it's the end. There's no other way to put it than it is the end. If you listen to the first ten tracks of her album and you go, okay, I like you, but what else you got? This is what else we got. <laughs> yes, it is the right. It, it's the conclusion for the album for what we did. Uh, Absolutely beautiful. I mean, I I I'm I'm kind of torn. Because since we've released this song, or at least since we've composed this song, I've been to the dentist, and I don't feel as good about going to the dentist since I have in the past. I've always been kind of okay with the dentist, but now when they got like the drill in my teeth, I'm like, take my gums and peel them back. Take my gums and peel them back. And, you know, I'm just kind of like, this ah! a, <laughs> Is this a disclaimer to people listening that you may never feel the same way about the dentist again? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think that's right. When you listen to Whatcha Chompin', we, w- we are going to change your facet of ideology about the dentist. If anything, it's just the PSA that, hey, take care of your teeth. <laughs> take my don't, gums and peel them don't back. Don't get gingivitis bad enough you back. need. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't get gingivitis. Don't have your gums peeled back. <laughs> and I think this is a great way to finalize our thoughts on this album, Today I Learned, because we started with discussing doctors in waiting rooms, and we're ending... With dentistry. That's the whole point of this album. We we might have gone through many other fields as we've gone through, you know, tracks 2 through 11, but we started with a waiting room and we ended with a dentist appointment. All in all, I think, you know, maybe, do you have any final comments on our album, Matt? Uh, nothing other than that. People should check it out. Definitely. It's on uh, Spotify. It's on Bandcamp. Yep. It's on Apple music on all the streaming services we we gave it a lot of thought and and you know that's exactly why we wanted to record this episode is because it's going to help the people who listen to it and love it maybe give a little more background or if anybody listens to this they're going to realize that they need to listen to it more for sure yeah yeah so totally sounds good so i think the 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 final thing that we have matt is that of course we are not going to just suck our own dicks with this episode well kind of we are leading up to a release that's that's the big kind of excitement of this episode is that now that we've done the self-indulgence talking about the music we may we have created the music that we've loved we are leading up to a release a new song from the immortal lansberries that when this episode is released you will all be able to hear on Spotify, on iTunes, all of that stuff. And I don't know how you wanted to start with this, Matt. I don't know if I even want to get into the concept of this song. I figured that for anybody that listens to this episode, at least this far through, we can play it in its entirety. Yes, we should absolutely uh, play this song in its entirety for our listeners. And in the meantime, while they're listening to it, uh, I can smoke a cigarette, and it'll be a great time for everybody. Perfect. So, so now that you have made us this far, we are going to play the first new single from the Immortal Lansberries in over a year. 
called Exploding Head Syndrome. And when you come back, we're going to talk a little bit about that track and how much we realize it's our new track and why we wanted to release it.
we have now the Immortal Lansberries introduced you to a new release. By the time you are hearing this, you can scroll down to the show notes to listen to this as much as you want on Spotify, Apple, any of your major uh, song listening uh, categories, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think the only thing I want to say is that this song is more of a superficial feature where we've talked a lot about the the tracks on our album having these deep meanings. Exploding Head Syndrome, EHS, is a little more superficial. It's It's literally about Rob understanding and learning the idea of Exploding Head Syndrome that apparently a lot of people... I think it's something like 18% of the population, when they are falling asleep or waking up, they hear explosions in their head. They hallucinate explosions. And I remember I told Matt about this, and he was like, what? (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) What? Yes, that's absolutely right. I've never heard about this condition, but I I believed it after you told me about it, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. I had to look it up. This is, yes, I mean, you know, really cool for us as artists. Uh, Anybody who has this, I'm terribly sorry, because I can't imagine when you're trying to fall asleep, you literally hear explosions, dishes crashing, uh, you know, car crashes in your head. While you're trying to fall asleep, like that's fucked. <laughs> but that's what this song is about. A a mental condition that, you know, deserves attention, deserves understanding, I should say. And I think that's what our song, Exploding Head Syndrome, is going for. Is that we're not making fun of this disease, this condition. We are trying to bring it to light. Would you agree? Man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know better than I do as uh, being the uh, per- person that writes all of the lyrics for us. But uh, from my understanding of the song and what I've heard from it, that's totally accurate. Yeah. I know yep. for, for me, the song has more of a, a different meaning from the musical aspect of it, where this was like trying new things for me. So I like I'm really excited for this song to be released and for people to be able to listen to it now. Now that they have, because I got to try a lot of different things with a song that I never really experimented with before, it, including the mandolin. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think time that's, that's featured. That's why it tracks. fit perfectly, is because you were trying new things in terms of our band, in terms of our history of musicians that we've covered extensively now in this episode, um, and why we felt the need we needed to lead into a new release, because it's something we haven't done before, and I think fits perfectly i couldn't have said it better myself so Um, for all of our audience please check out exploding head syndrome that's going to be the main link in the show notes tonight and you've already heard it if you've listened to this whole episode we're going to put it in this recording um but other than that when you finish this episode please scroll down and check out the videos, Entropy and Equilibrium, that Matt and I have. Please check out the Bandcamp of our first EP, Angela Lansbury's Immortal, with the songs Equilibrium and Entropy. Please scroll down and check out Today I Learned, the first full album from Matt and I, Today I Learned, by the Immortal Lansbury's. With all that being said, is there anything else you would like to plug, Matt? 
subscribe, whether it be if subscribe you have a... to Facebook, that's the main thing I would say. That way that people can hear whenever we do come out with a release date for the new album. Nice. This is just a taste of what's to come. So I'm excited for people to be able to yeah, enjoy. We're doing, we're doing a little we're doing a little drop in the water right here. Yeah. <laughs> There's much more to enjoy, so just keep keep your ears uh, open and just uh, your mind open and listen for uh, any news on. Okay, okay. <laughs> listen to my I, music and enjoy it, please, if you like. <laughs> I, I I think the last thing before we exit this episode is that um, uh, we we mentioned it very briefly before, and uh, our artist is James H. So with all that being said, Matt, thank you so much for being not only a bonus feature co-host on Cinemodities, thank you for being my bandmate in the Immortal Lansberries. I'm glad that we have finally gotten to self-indulge ourselves in this endeavor, and I hope that in the future you will be on this podcast talking about things other than our band. Maybe if we do a, um, a David Lynch series, maybe if we do... Uh, a Willem Dafoe series, anything like that. I'm just picking things that I know you like. But thank you, Matt, so much. I really appreciate it, and I hope you've enjoyed your aspect on Cinemodities for sure. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. It's been great. All right. Well, the last thing that we have to talk about is uh, every episode of Cinemodities, we end the episode with music in reverse, like like literal music played in reverse. And I think I cannot fathom a better reveal or a better ending than let's take Smothered and play it in reverse for this ending. We'll get, we'll get four-word bells. Thank you.
cereal cereal is already made rose rose how are you gonna hit me with with something i'm this angry about already rose ro fucking rose come on rose <laughs> making cereal matt and i here talking about safaris and you're talking about cereal <laughs> you asked me what i was doing rose 